on air for Fan for Racing Radio. And uh, we will be doing our show tonight that is the NASCAR Weekend Preview for Texas. So definitely looking forward to that. And uh, joining me shortly, well, he's here, is our co-host, Jay Hughes. And welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Didn't mean to interrupt. I know you got a lot we're previewing tonight this weekend. Texas, big, big weekend in Texas uh, with some big money on the line for the Cup Series yes. anyway. Yes. And, excuse me. I had a sneeze sneak up on me. Uh, yes, indeed. We are definitely looking forward uh, to Texas Motor Speedway this weekend, although I will be in Texas for the races this weekend. Unfortunately, I won't be at the track, the same as last year during this time. My grandson's birthday is this weekend, so uh, we'll be busy celebrating birthday time. Uh, but I will definitely be keeping my eye on what's going on at the Texas Motor Speedway. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know you talked about that. Uh, you know, for me, a big birthday party at, te- at the Texas Motor Speedway would be the thing. Uh, I don't know about your grandson, but you know, family is very important. Obviously, you gotta gotta make that decision. Yes, indeed. Um, now uh, we'll start tonight, though, with a, a few in- few uh, bits of information about what's happening in the short track racing world. Uh, we do have. Uh, short track racing going on this weekend as well. Then we'll give you some updates from the Arkham and Art Series, the Arca East, and the Arca West. They are not racing this weekend, uh, but we'll make sure you know when the next races are for all three of those series. At 9 o'clock, Jay, we do have some free race audio from Chase Briscoe. He is making his debut in the All-Star Race this weekend. Uh, so we'll kind of hear a few of his thoughts about that as uh, we hit the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, after that, you and I will give our feedback uh, from his comments, and then we'll get into the Cup Series. We're going to do things a little differently tonight because we're going to go right from the Chase Briscoe interview and our thoughts into the Cup Series preview at Texas for the All-Star Race and the Open. We'll continue with the Xfinity Series preview and then we'll finish off with the truck series preview all at Texas Motor Speedway. Ten o'clock is our master hot topic sound off. I'm not sure if Tommy's going to be available tonight as of right now, Jay. I think it's just you and me. Uh, but we have a lot to talk about, so that might be a good thing. Well, yeah, it seems like uh, we never find a, a real shortage of hot topics to, to talk about. I know we've had a couple put up and a couple lingering in my mind. Uh, so yeah, uh, hopefully Tommy is able to join us. I know he always enjoys it. Love having him on. So we'll see mm-hmm. if he's able to, uh, come on later tonight. Yes, indeed. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead and get started, Jay, with, uh, some of our hot topic sound off, or not hot topic sound off, with our short track racing over the weekend. Uh, there is, uh, as I mentioned, a lot going on. Uh, there's some midweek racing news uh, where they've uh, talked about Kurt Busch getting that uh, win for 23-11 in the Cup Series last weekend. And then Sheldon Hardenstein outdueled Kyle Larson in Tweedsboro uh, in the world of that was Mass Energy Drake Sunkong uh, at Bridgeport 
uh, Motorsports Park. So that was an exciting race. Uh, Sheldon drives for Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and he talks about how proud he is of his results after that race. And this is one we, we've seen a lot of. Uh, I know we see some drivers that are driving in these series, but there's also a lot of these Cup stars that own teams. Uh, maybe not necessarily driving. I know Ricky uh, Stenhouse does occasionally still drive, but still owning them and being part of those series, providing that opportunity for other up-and-coming drivers is just as important. We talk about Kyle Busch doing that with KBM Motorsports. Yes, he drives for the team, but it's also the opportunity and development of the next generation of, of drivers, the next superstars. So that's great to see with Ricky Stenhouse uh, and being uh, a great driver. Uh, if you don't know the wild child, Hoddenshield, uh, he's a great driver to watch. <laughs> exactly. Also, Derek Griffith is set to make his first 350 super modified start with the 350 SMAC Tour at his home track at Hudson Speedway. So uh, Derek Griffith, uh, we've seen his name in the Arca Menard Series. It's nice to see him uh, race here now um, uh, in this uh, all this Pro All Stars race um, up in the Northeast. Also, Derek has raced uh, two career NASCAR Xfinity Series races for Sam Hunt Racing. So, um, again, it's really great to see that he's uh, getting a chance uh, to race uh, this weekend. And that's one you mentioned of of having seen or heard before. I think you're going to hear and see a lot more. Uh, There's another one we'll talk about as we move into the Arkham Menard Series. But Derek Griffith is one that I think eventually you're going to see on a regular weekly basis at some of NASCAR's top levels. Exactly right. Um, the Arkham Art Series is where you find out about some of the up-and-coming drivers that will be moving into the uh, NASCAR Top 3 Series uh, over time. So uh, definitely uh, think this is uh, a very good opportunity for Derek Griffith as he continues uh, to develop his racing resume. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and uh, check flow racing and see what they've got over there. Uh, there's a lot. Okay. There's always so much racing going on over at flow racing, too. There, there was Did one you other have... one here from, uh, yeah, from uh, Racing America. Now i got to slide back down here to find it. Um, okay. Redbud, the Redbud 400 at Anderson is going to celebrate the ASA le- legacy. Now, Sharon, oh, I know nice. you and I have talked about this, uh, that we're familiar with it. It was the American Speed Association. I think it said it ran from 1973 to 2004. Um, to go mm-hmm. back and look at, it's, it lists the short track superstars, uh, Bob Seneca, Mike Eddy, Butch Miller, and Dick Trickle. Now, you may not be as familiar with those, but it also gave future NASCAR Hall of Fame members, Daryl Waltrip, Rusty Wallace, Mark Martin, Alan Kowicki, uh, a platform to rise to stardom. And I personally got to see Johnny Benson, Jimmy Spencer, Ken Schrader uh, race, because uh, Brainerd, Minnesota had one of these races, um, a series that really, for the mid, mid to upper uh, Midwest, uh, that platform, and, and it produced some great drivers uh, on a regular basis. <laughs> 
Uh, some of the drivers, uh, other drivers that have raced there over the years uh, include NASCAR stars uh, Al Bush, Eric Jones, Daniel Howard, Carson Hussler. Uh They've all raced out of the Anderson Speedway uh, and in this series. So uh, really great to see them uh, uh, celebrating the legacy of uh, ASA, the American Speed Association. It's the 56th annual Red Bud 400 uh, that was taking place out there at Andersonville. And let me see if I can find the date. Did they give a date here? Uh, let me see if that was, uh, look at the top. I just close that down now. July 16th practice will be Friday, July 15th. So uh, tickets are available. Uh, tickets will go on sale Monday, June 6th. Uh, tickets are 20 bucks in advance, $25 the day of the race. Children 6 to 12 or 10 uh, and 5 and under are free. So tickets can be purchased at the ticket office, or you can call 765-642-0206, extension 121. So uh, this is an event that uh, you will not regret uh, taking part in. Most certainly not, and I know you want to move over to Flow Racing here. As we got, I just wanted to give a shout-out there, because I think that, that honoring the legacy of the ASA was Absolutely. very important. Yes, indeed. I thank you for uh, bringing that to our attention here tonight. Um, right now, going on at Blue Racing is the 2022 Darren uh, Rust Memorial at Georgetown Speedway. So if you want to watch some racing as you're listening to the show, uh, you can tune in at flowracing.com. Uh, but there are so many races again uh, this weekend. If you just go to the schedule of Flow Racing, the schedule link in the uh, uh, top bar, <clears throat> you'll see racing at uh, Utica Rome Speedway. Uh, that, and this is all tomorrow. Stafford Speedway, uh, Terre Haute Action Track, the Autodrome at Danby, Granby. Uh, Wilmot Raceway, Kankakee County Raceway, uh, there's uh, the Natural Bridge Speedway, Tri-City Speedway, uh, Marshalltown Speedway, Pinwell Knights, Tulsa Speedway, and Ocean Speedway all taking place tomorrow. Uh, and then you can go into Sunday, Saturday, and there's even more. Uh, some of those are repeats, um, but uh, there's weekly racing. Uh, to add to the Berlin Raceway, Florence Motor Speedway, you will have NASCAR Weekly Racing, uh, Bridgeport Motorsports Park, Thunder Speedway, Devil's Bowl Speedway, uh, Jennerstown Speedway, it looks like Florence has a uh, double header, Virginia Motor Speedway, Riverhead Raceway, Mustangville County Speedway, Eldora Speedway, the family fireworks night on uh, Saturday night. Champions at uh, Plymouth Dirt Track, Lee USA Speedway, Hickory Motor Speedway is the last weekly trial series, Charleston Speedway, weekly racing from NASCAR at Langley Speedway, South Boston Speedway with NASCAR's weekly racing, uh, Port City Raceway, Southern All-Star Series at Sonoya Raceway, Lincoln Speedway is back in action this weekend. We've got weekly racing at uh, Bowman Gray Stadium, uh, the first responders at Petaluma Speedway, uh, weekly racing at Grass Fairground Speedway, Meridian Speedway, Evergreen Speedway, and Placerville 
Speedway all on Saturday. And there's a whole handful more on Saturday, Jay. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, you, you go through there, uh, you know, I, I'm one of those that wouldn't get any sleep. I get on there, I don't get any sleep because you can always find something. Um, two shout outs I, I, I want to give there coming from the dirt track side, Marshalltown, Iowa, Marshalltown Speedway there in Iowa just came off what's being talked about as possibly one of the base, best races of the year already, flow racing uh, there for that one. And you mentioned the Southern All-Stars over at Sonoya, Georgia. I uh, finally last year got to go over to that track. Uh, great facility and racing there as well. And Dwayne Keith and that group, they'll be coming to Columbus Speedway here coming up in June. So I'm looking forward to that. Ah, oh, very cool. Uh, very cool. And real quick, I'll read the ones that are they have listed here for uh, Sunday. They've got Riverhead Raceway, the weekly thrill series, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, that's the NASCAR Party Series racing there. Uh, the also Circuit of Champions at Angel Park Speedway and Mars Lake Models at Adam Stanley Speedway, all racing on Sunday. Uh, and there's weekday racing as well. If you want to check it out, Again, go to Flow Racing and check out the schedule. Uh, there is just so much going on, uh, both at Racing America as well as Flow Racing. Yeah, both great uh, great spots to check out. Fulfill that need during the week. If you can get out during the week to the, some of these tracks, like I said, Flow Racing, I know, has kind of put an emphasis on that of running some midweek races, Um whether you got to watch it there on Flow Racing or in the area to get out to these tracks, uh, definitely worth it. I know I just find value in that of visiting new tracks. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. i got a new one on my list coming up here this weekend. So, Okay, that's cool. Okay, um, let's go ahead and get into our Arthur Menard series. Uh, Arthur Racing Com. they always have such great stories. And there's another good one up here, One Hot Memory. Dave made it third, uh, proud of rule in the famous 92 Winston. Uh, if you're talking about a throwback Thursday, this is a great article uh, to kick in. Uh, and you can actually uh, get alerts on theracing.com when they put up great content like this so that uh, you can kind of be one of the first to read it. Uh, Brandon White put up a great article there. 30 years after One Hot Light, Arthur Driver, Dave Mater III, proud of his role in the historic NASCAR event. So NASCAR ties to Arthur Racing right there. And I, I think it was Race Hub actually had a little bit of a special on that. I don't know if it paralleled with this article here at uh, Arkham and Arge Racing, but the, the history of that is one that I was familiar with the name of Dave Mater III, um, but to get a little bit more history of it uh, was really interesting. So, yeah, I would highly recommend reading the article. And I say I can't remember if it's on Race Hub that they had a, uh, a thing with it as well for uh, a history lesson, if you're into that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that Race Hub had also done that. Okay, I lost my page here, so i got to put it back in. Uh, what do you see there that might be of interest, uh, Jay? Well, big thing, uh, we talk about uh, sponsorship uh, when it comes to teams, but also for the series. And uh, the first one uh, listed there underneath the Dave Mater article is CGS Imaging, and they're continuing as the Four Crown Championship and title uh, sponsorship. We talk about the Arkham and Ard series. Uh, it's one of those series within the series. 
uh, the races that comprise that Four Crown Championship. It'll be May 27th at Charlotte Motor Speedway, uh, August 19th at Watkins Glen International, August, August 21st at Illinois State Fairgrounds, October 1st at Salem Speedway. Uh, it's one of those of kind of the variety package. You got uh, the ha- mile and a half Charlotte Motor Speedway, a road course. I believe, uh, Sharon, if I'm not mistaken, Illinois State Fairgrounds is the dirt race, and then Salem yes. Speedway. So you got that uh, broad championship of those four races. They crown the four crown championship, the best on four varieties, and that's separate. Uh, we talk about this so many times. The Arkham Menard Series has what four different series, uh, not just Rookie of the Year, but championships within their main championship. And we see that with the crossover of the Sioux Chief Showdown as well. So I think that's really cool, and it takes a sponsor like CGS Imaging. So I I like to see that that they came back as a title sponsor. Okay. Jay, can you do me a favor? I have to step away for a few minutes. Uh, Can you go ahead and give the dates and times of the next races that are coming up in the Arkham Arch Series, the East, the West, and the Sioux Chief Showdown? Uh, Certainly. Um, Thank you. Coming up on mates. Yep. Coming up on May 27th, I mentioned it there, that'll be Charlotte Motor Speedway for the main Arkham Menard Series, uh, the General Tire 150. On the Arkham Menards East Series, their next event will be the Calypso Lemonade 150. That'll be June 11th at Iowa Speedway. I know Sharon and I talked about that. That's one I've gotten to go to before. That'll be on MAV-TV. Uh, the Arkham Menard Series there... General Tire 150, that'll be on F. June 4th, that is a Saturday coming up. Portland 100, that'll be for the Arkham Menards West Series at Portland International Raceway. And that'll be carried on Flow Racing. Mention that they've stepped up. And then that June 11th race, we talk about this. It's a Sioux Chief Showdown event. So it's the Arkham Menards Series as well as the Monarca East Series. And any other ele- or drivers that want to enter it, um, it will be a showdown-eligible event on June 11th at Iowa Speedway. And that, as, as I mentioned, will be covered on Flow Racing. I'm sorry, that one's on MAV-TV. The Sioux Chief Showdown is on MAV-TV. The Portland 100 for the West Series is the one that's on Flow Racing. And while she is stick, taking care of something else there, We'll go into the series standings uh, as, again, we, we don't have any racing from these series this weekend. Um, the next one coming up May 27th, another week. But the Arkham Menard series standings, we talked about Nick Sanchez, picked up a second victory there at Kansas, now has two out of four on the year, giving him, uh, actually tying him in points with Raja Karuth. Raja Karuth has been very steady, teammate at Rev Racing, two top tens and earth two top fives and three top tens in those four races. Been a little more consistent. Nick Sanchez, though, getting the two victories, has made it a two-way tie between teammates. Great story here. Daniel Dye, the uh, charges with him, that they worked through that. He was reinstated and drove this past weekend at Kansas to maintain uh, his standings. Four races in, he's got three top fives, so he's three points back behind those Rev Racing teammates. Then in fourth, you got Corey Heim. Only made three starts, but one of them was a victory and two top fives, two top tens. He's 33 points back. Tony Breidinger, four races in, is 37 points back, along with Gus Dean. 
Um, Gus Dean is putting together kind of a piecemeal schedule as well. I know this past weekend he was with uh, Venturini Motorsports, uh, has three top fives in all three of his races, so he's also tied in fifth in points at 37 back. Then you got Amber Balcane, D.L. Wilson, Parker Chase, and Greg Van Alls. Uh, two of them have been D.L. Wilson, Amber Balcane, D.L. Wilson, and Greg Van Alst have made all four starts. Moving over, let's see which one I got next here. The West Series, the next one's going to have their event uh, there at Portland on June 4th. Jake Drew holding a five-point and a six-point advantage. Uh, Jake Drew all three top fives in the three races. Tanner Reif, I think I pronounced that wrong last week, uh, get it right this week. Tanner Reif uh, picking up a victory in two top fives is five points back, and then Cole Moore, six points back. And all of your top ten drivers have made all three starts. This series a lot tighter than we've seen in some of the others. Paul Pedronicilli Jr. at minus 14. Austin Herzog, one more point behind him. Sixth place, Todd Souza is 17 back. Takuma Koga, minus 24. Joey East, minus 30. Uh, Columbia, Bogota, Columbia driver Sebastian Aries is at ninth with minus 36. And then Bridget Burgess at 37 back. And that's just through those three races. Wow, it's really tight there in the West Series. As you said, that's one of the uh, most competitive uh, that we have with a lot of a lot of players in the mix. It does seem to be year in and year out, most certainly. Uh, not sure what the reason for that is, um, but it's great to see. Now, on the East, uh, still a little bit of a battle, but Sammy Smith uh, taking control back with his third victory in four races. All four races, all four top fives, puts him nine points up over Taylor Gray. Uh, he does have that other victory, the fourth victory on the year. Uh, between the two of them, and four top fives as well. Puts him nine points back. Average finish for Sammy Smith, 2.0. Taylor Gray is a 2.3. That is absolutely impressive. (laughs) It certainly is. And that that leaves uh, Leland Honeymoon. uh, Four races in, three top fives, all four top tens with a pole, an average finish of 4.8, but that puts him 25 points back between those top two. We've seen this before. Uh, you're having a good to great season, but somebody just that notch better uh, just having a phenomenal season. So Leland Honeymoon still in the hunt. They're obviously Honeymoon. finishing top fives, top tens. Then we got Christian Rose, Stephanie Moyer rounding out the top five at minus 51, minus 52. Brad Smith has made all four races at minus 61. And then Jake Finch, Donald Thieg, Donald Daniel Escado, and Willie Mullins are ones that are running part-time schedules. Looks like three and two races out of the four. So it'll be interesting to see, as well, especially when we go to the Sioux Chief Showdown, because that seems to draw a few more drivers in that aren't eligible to run the full season based on some of the tracks. They can go for that uh, Sioux Chief Showdown uh, championship. Yeah, that two chief championship, that's only going to be the second of 10 races uh, when they head out to Iowa Speedway in June. So uh, that's going to be a fun one to watch right now. The plants uh, 
are just after one race, but this will start to suffer and cause a little bit when we get into that second event. Well, and as as we have that Sioux Chief showdown, not only does that determine that championship, but it can have a major impact on the overall Arkham Menard series. Because like I said, we generally see some West drivers show up, uh, some others that are only running those 10 events, and as they aren't eligible to run all the bigger tracks, so they're only there for those Sioux Chief showdown events. It means they put a lot of focus into it. They do. It'll be three different series that will get points from that one race. Uh, the Arkham and Art Series, the Arca East, and the Sioux Chief Showdown. So three different chances uh, for points uh, throughout uh, that one race. Uh, get excited when we talk about that. Can't wait to see that uh, driver entry list, which we should have maybe next week. I don't know if it'll be out that early, but in in the next couple of weeks as we approach that June date. Yes, indeed, and I'm sure we will be approaching that June date sometime very soon. Uh, it's uh, going to sneak up on us, I think. Uh, there's also a feature over at uh, fan, um, not fan for racing, but ArcaRacing.com uh, highlighting the Arca Graduate of the Week. Zane uh, Smith, who used to race in the Arca Millard Series, uh, now racing in the Truck Series, and uh, that's after he took a win in the Truck Series at the Speedway last weekend, so they did a uh, very nice feature on him there. Uh, they also are letting you know about that next race that's coming up for the Arkham Art Series Race 5 of 20 uh, at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, they give you some of the details of that race if you want to plan to be there. Uh, there's also rewinds and takeaways from uh, the race at Kansas Speedway that Nick Sanchez won. He, by the way, had uh, the Reese's sweet move of the race, Nick Sanchez made space slick pass at Kansas. So if you haven't seen that yet, uh, you can check that out all at uh, ArthurRacing.com. Well, you, you certainly want to check out the, the sweet move of the race. Uh, there were several great <laughs> eligible uh, ones for that, uh, Nick Sanchez being awarded it. And then the last article there, if you want, if I just pulled that up. Ooh, yeah, go ahead and talk about that because that's pretty cool. Uh, Nick Sanchez, it was announced uh, on the 13th that he has picked up six NASCAR Xfinity races with the team for the remainder of the 2022 season. That'll be with well, uh, that's BJ that's McLeod. With BJ McLeod, yeah. Yep for the Xfinity Series with B.J. McLeod uh, Motorsport. Uh, Sanchez made his series debut uh, on March 12, 2022 at Phoenix in the United Rentals 200 earlier this season, finished 2026. 20, but the two have decided to expand their partnership. So it looks like it's going to be uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway as well as the Xfinity races at Pocono Raceway, Michigan International Speedway, the Kansas Lottery 300 at Kansas Motor Speedway, the Bass Pro Shops night race at Bristol Motor Speedway, and the Contender Boats 250 at Homestead, Miami. So there's a he's getting recognized. We talk about this as, as these drivers in the Arkham Menard Series pick up victories and run well. They get noticed, and they get that opportunity to move up to one of NASCAR's top three series. Absolutely. 
Um, so, again, there's just so much information over at ArthurRacing.com. Uh, bookmark the site because they always have great information out there. Uh, and we usually, uh, uh, you know, we're big fans of the Arthur Millard series and uh, of that website. So, usually they have, um, uh, in addition to everything that they put out uh, ahead of time of the races, they also have um, radio coverage of a lot of the races over at ArthurRacing.com. So if you can't uh, watch on the streaming services or on TV even, you can always listen to the radio uh, coverage over at ArthurRacing.com. I know when I, when I first started covering this with you, I, I oh, definitely yeah. was over oh, on the yeah. art. On the uh, Arkham and Arts page there, the chat room they have there is pretty cool as well. Yeah, I just made the mistake of hitting that. I was going to check it out. And they've got a replay of the race over there. So uh, Jamie Little, a lot of people are familiar with Jamie Little. She's one of the race announcers in the Arkham and Arts series now. So uh, that's who you heard in my inadvertent uh, chat there. Well, I know you. I know you got the. Uh, we're going to cover the uh, pre-racer, yeah, pre-race uh, audio from Ch- Chase Briscoe. I thought maybe you were getting that keyed up already. Yeah, I am going to get that keyed up. Um, I did want to bring up that uh, uh, Chase Briscoe, driver of the number fourteen for Stuart Haas Racing in a Ford. Uh, he's actually making his debut in the Cup Series All-Star Race this weekend out at Texas Motor Speedway. And so uh, media had an availability during the week this week uh, to chat with him a little bit about. So that was just yesterday. So this is pretty fresh information. The entire length of this uh, interview is 21 minutes and 6 seconds. Uh, We're not going to be able to listen to all of it. But we did want to share at least seven to eight minutes of it, uh, and then Jay and I will talk about it a little bit uh, at the end of uh, that seven or eight minutes, and then uh, we'll move on to the Cup Series preview. So uh, let's go ahead and hear what Chase Crystal has to say uh, during his interview. All right, joining us here on our call this Wednesday is Chase Crystal, driver the number 14 Mahinda Tractors Ford Mustang, making his NASCAR All-Star Race debut this weekend. Texas Motor Speedway. If you've got a question for Chase, raise your hand. We've already got a handful of them up, Chase, so we'll uh, we'll just get started here right off the bat. We'll start with Lee Spencer. Hey, Lee. Still muted. There you go. Sorry about that. Okay, you're good. Trying to I'm I'm saying sorry, apologies. What's up with the T-shirt, Bruno? Uh, this is actually a pretty sweet uh, old Moody. Uh, so dad has a boat down at uh, Myrtle Beach. And John's uh, the weekend. We always go over there and just hang out. And the guy across the dock uh, called her dad and was like, hey, I got this you know, old Holman Moody shirt because I don't have any kids to pass it on to. I've only worn it once. It's actually signed by uh, Leonard Wood. And he's like, if you want it, you can have it. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's a pretty cool shirt. So I took it. I wore it to Darlington and wear it today. That's awesome. I love the backstory on that. Um, so you were, I, I think, now if I'm wrong, you were uh, 
testing or not testing or just having like an outing with your fellow Haas drivers from the other side of the pond? What was that like? Yeah, it was super cool. We uh, had a deal over at Sherman Speedway where we had a two-seater, um, like an old tough car, I guess, old jet. And uh, then the Ford Racing School had a lot of their vehicles out there and had the, the you know, two Haas guys come over, Schumacher and Magnuson, and I drove them around in the two-seater for like two or three laps each, and then they actually got in and drove each other around, and then the rest of the day we just uh, drove around to Austin Police, uh, you know, in the, the Ford Force Racing School cars, and had a lot of fun. So yeah, it was super cool for me to, you know, meet those guys. I got to meet Nick last year, came for the Texas race, and got to hang out with him for a couple minutes, and then uh, just see how good they were. You know, you think of Formula One guys, they're you know, some of the best race car drivers in the world, obviously, and to see how quickly they adapted to the stock car uh, blew me away. Uh, I hope that they come and try to do a race. It was funny. You know, they were asking all kinds of questions, and, uh, you know, just the, how different both racing series are and how they, you know, officiate them and, and racetracks and things like that. Uh, it was pretty crazy to kind of hear their side of it. And, um, yeah, they were both really good. They were only like two or three seconds off when I ran, so they, they were really good. I thought, like, you know, right out of the box, and it would be cool to see them uh, on a race someday. Super. Appreciate your time, Dan. I'm going to stay in the queue unless somebody else has some questions, but I have a follow-up. Great. I appreciate that, Leah. We've got, like, seven or eight folks in the queue here, so if we can start with one question apiece, and then we'll kind of rotate back through uh, if you've got a follow-up. Let's go to Rob Johnson. Rob, go ahead. I want to do 
of stuff. And I, I think the opposite. You know, hitting the wall at 230 is just like, yeah, this year would be a perfect year. There's only 32 cars in it, so I can just show up on race day, do the free race, and uh, take the green and go home. But outside of that, as of right now, I don't have any desire to race the race. Um, but I'm a huge fan, and, and you know, Indy's special for a lot of reasons. And uh, I know on, on Sunday next week, I'll definitely be watching it as long as I can. All right, thank you, Bob. Let's go to Matt Weaver. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry about that. Um, thanks for the time today, Chase. Um, you haven't been entrenched in Cup as long as, like, some of the veterans, so you probably have less muscle memory, I guess, to override. But with that said, having driven the trucks and Xfinity and the Gen 6, is there anything about this new car that is completely like you've had to rewire how you drive a race car, and it's challenged you in that way, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, uh, you know, I haven't felt like it's a ton different, to be honest with you. I feel like it's still a race car. It still does a lot of the same things. You're on the mile and a half, the aero situations, but things like coming road courses. Uh, maybe just, you know, I, I felt like when I got, you know, beast on the road courses, it's when I started maximizing the brake zones car in this car you can do that a lot better um so i guess just how you drive with the brake pedal on the road courses would be the biggest thing that i kind of have to retrain myself but you know, truthfully with the IMSA stuff i've done it's kind of similar to that in that feel so yeah I, I wouldn't say that i've had as much muscle memory to you know i guess to relearn or you know forget about the past you know it's funny when we did that one guy yeah, that was an H pattern, and I was kind of nervous before I got in. And it's, as soon as I got in, it was just like normal. And you know, then the you know, following Sunday, we run the sequential, and I never had any issues either. Where I know Harvick said that, that he missed his ship this past weekend. So, uh, you know, for me, I, I haven't had any issues. You know, back on the where it's kind of like that, but uh, it is different, I think, for the, the guys that have done it for a long time. They're trying to retrain themselves on this thing. But for me, it's all been relatively the same. All right, uh, that is the interview that we have with uh, Chase Briscoe. Uh, your thoughts about his comments there? I thought some of those stories were kind of cool here. Yeah, a couple of things that, that was interesting there. You're talking about the Indy 500. Uh, you know, everybody you know, would say, oh, yeah, I'd love to have that opportunity. But to, and it's, it surprised me a little bit, knowing the talent he has to jump between different uh, styles of vehicle. To that one to just say, no, nah, I just want to make the start and then get out of the way. Um, <laughs> a little bit different answer than what we've heard before. And especially, like I said, having seen him run some of the different things he's run, um, I think he's selling himself a little short. But for, for a driver to admit that, that, yeah, he doesn't want to get in the way, <laughs> like you said, it'd be cool to make the start. But uh, mm-hmm. other than that, he'd step aside. Um, and then talking about, uh, you know, I know we, we've talked about this leading into it. The, the next gen car of uh, not having the, to unlearn any muscle memory from the older car or other styles. Whereas maybe some of the veteran drivers, we we've talked about that if they're having a, a tougher time adapting to it. And then the last thing I picked up on was something Larry McReynolds talked about this car really being more designed and suited towards road course racing with the, the new suspension and the center of uh, gravity and everything with the car that this one really is designed more so. It's not the standard uh, design to go left uh, all the time. 
So that's one where, and we've seen it already, not on the road courses other than the one at Coda, but I think we're going to see some great, if we can even improve on road course racing, that even taking another step uh, higher uh, when we talk about parity and maybe some other top content, contenders for the win. Yes, indeed. Uh, I thought that that was pretty cool, too. Uh, and then his thoughts about going into the outside race this weekend and about Texas Motor Speedway. It sounds to me like he's pretty familiar with that track and how it differs from other ones in five-mile tracks. Uh, with just having that one groove, whereas some of the other tracks you have multiple grooves, uh, and how that's going to affect the racing this weekend in that all-star race. Um, if I, I wish I could have asked him, and I don't know if anybody else, uh, you know, these drivers, especially in the Cup Series, are used to preparing their car and their mindset, if you will, for the long haul uh, over four or 500 laps. In the all-star race, in the open race this week, uh, these are short stints. Uh, this is more of a, a really quick race uh, that we're going to see happening versus, uh, let's see, 25 laps, 25 laps. Uh, then there's a special stage break, uh, another 25 laps, and then 50 laps. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it's not quite the same. So I wonder if they prepare any differently. And I'm sure that they do uh, for that type of a race versus how they would prepare for a type of race. You know, okay. you know they have to. I mean, the, the mindset, the mindset. But there again, I think Chase Briscoe maybe has an advantage there when you talk about coming from dirt track racing, sprint uh, midget races. I mean, that's what these shows are. There are some exceptions of a uh, hundred lappers. But you see that it is short sprint races, which leads to some of their aggressiveness when it comes to being on track, especially as they work their way up to the cup level, that they're kind of go, go, go right from the beginning because they're used to that not having those laps. And that's something I think they learn of, you know, it's a marathon now, uh, not a sprint. Uh, And and we've talked about that, especially when it comes to Talladega, the uh, Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte. Uh, you got to be there at the end in order to finish. That is right. They have to take care of their equipment. Uh, the thing that's kind of cool about the Open is that you've got uh, whoever wins the stage gets an entry into the uh, also race. And then, of course, there's the fan vote that's going on as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, if you want to find out who... Uh, wins that fan vote and who's uh, winning those stage races, uh, you need to tune in, not only for the All-Star race, but for the Open as well. So the Open is going to take place Sunday, May the 22nd at 5.30. Uh, the green flag should drop around 5.33 p.m. The All-Star race uh, is 8 o'clock, and that green flag should drop sometime around 11. Uh, PM, I'm sorry, 8.13 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 as well as PRN and Sirius XM Alaska Radio. They will also have a practice and qualifying session 7 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, May 21st. Again, that will be televised. So um, 
they've got the cauliflower orders up here, uh, as well as uh, the archery list. Let's start with uh, the, the uh, let's go with the uh, archery list for the uh, open rice first, Joe. Okay, let me see where that is listed. I know they've got the fan vote. Active. Well, I can go ahead and get uh, started. Okay, yeah, if you would. I'm not seeing where that is on here. Mm. Okay, uh, entry list. We'll start with uh, the number three vehicle of Austin Dillon for RCR. Uh, then there's Corey LaJoy in the number seven, Tyler Reddick in the number eight, Garrett Smithley in the number 15, and Chris Busher driving the number 17. That's the first five drivers. Are you there yet, Jay? Uh, yeah, it's loading it up here for me. Uh, I saw where you went through uh, Chris Busher, so I'll pick up from there as soon as it loads. Um, in the okay. number 21, you got rookie Harrison Burton. Then Justin Haley in the number 31 for Collet Racing. Front Row Motorsports has Todd Gillen in the number 38. Uh, previous race winner, just hasn't been in the past year, Cole Huster in the 41 for Stuart Haas Racing. And Ty Dillon as a petty GMS Motorsports in the number 42. Okay, and moving along here, I'll go ahead and do the final six. Eric Jones will be uh, driving the number 43 for petty GMS Motorsports. Ricky Steer in the number 47 for JTG Doherty Racing. And Cody Weir in the number 51 for Rick Ware Racing. And in the 77, it's Lionel Castle for Spire Motorsports. In the 78, B.J. McLeod for Bass Motorsports. And in the number 99, Daniel Suarez for Trackhouse Racing. Well, I know we only gave one person. Uh, so if our one person we picked was any of those stages, that counts as a, a win, right? Say that again? Okay, in, in our fantasy picks for the Fan for Racing group, we picked right. one open person. Uh, right. And then okay. If they one win the a stage, yeah, and they get into the All-Star, does that still count as a win? Yep, uh, as as we're doing it, just uh, if they win and advance their way in by, by finishing the stage or the final uh, end of the race, all three will be considered uh, winners. And the, the winner, if you get nine points for our fantasy group, um, again, kind of a little bit of twist to the all-star race that, that we've done the past couple of years. Um, yeah. So, and I know we're, looking at it, uh, you know, I thought there were ones we'd think about who can win. There's still some good drivers there, you know, looking, uh, the ones that haven't been picked yet. I think about Chris Busher, Harrison Burton. I know he's had a rough year, but we've seen that Wood Brothers car pick up the all-star victory. I think back to Michael Walter, mm-hmm. um, Todd Gillen, Cole Custer. I think he. I think Andy did take Custer now. Yeah, Busher was on my list. I ended up taking Austin Gillen, but Busher was definitely on my list because he's from Texas too. Well, and I know when we talked about the. Yeah, um, oh, most certainly. Uh, we, you know, they again have had a rough season uh, since the beginning of uh, two races, the uh, duels at Daytona. Um, so that definitely would be for RFK. And this is huge. Uh, another one, Corey LaJoy. We've seen him have some good runs. So, and you talked about the, that short sprint and that mentality. That's why I think this Open is one of those races. 
And I know Mike said it might not be as uh, interesting this year as we don't have what he called the heavy hitters, but I still think it's going to be a very intense, oh, yeah. that short track, got to go. I mean, this is how you get into that all-star race if you're not already in. Um, and some of these drivers, that matches their mentality. I think I see Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and again, I think he – mm-hmm. I'd have to pull it up and see if he got picked yet. But that's his kind of style of race. I think he was picked already because I, I had a lot of the ones that were already picked were on my list. So I had to go pretty deep on my list in order to pick somebody. And it, and I just think about – I mentioned uh, um, Corey LaJoy, Con Gillen, Ty Dillon in that 42 for Petty GMS. We've seen him have spurts of good runs, um, not consistent enough on a weekly basis yet, but that those good runs for a team like that to race their way in during the all-star race and, and be a part of that, I think is really just a huge confidence booster moving forward for the second half of the season. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, let me see if they've got the open format here. Uh, I know we've got an all-star race page. Uh, I think it's just the all-star race page. I don't think there's an – okay, let me see. There is an open race page. Okay. Uh, Now, uh, okay. They don't really – let's kind of cover that a little bit. The qualifying qualifying round is the traditional – Single car, one lap format in reverse order of the current 2022 owner's points. The fastest eight qualifiers will transfer to a three-round head-to-head elimination bracket. So the elimination bracket will feature two cars staged and adjacent pit stalls near the end of pit road. At the sound of an alert, each pit crew will perform a four-tire stop and at the drop of the jack, drivers will exit their pit stalls with no speed limit onto the track. The first car back to the start-finish line advances into the next round. The final pairing competes for the pole. So uh, a little bit uh, of a variation here from what we traditionally see in qualifying. Uh, but they, I do like that they put a feature on the pit crews. Yeah, that was one of one of the twists was the inclusion of the the pit crew, which I, I like. They incorporated that in because it is a team sport, and we used to have a separate pit crew competition. Now it's all tied together. This bracket, the head to head. I think early in the year, after the first race, I worked with the Ultimate Street Stock Series Challenge. They, I'd never, I'd heard of it, but never seen it or really understood it. Called the King of the Hill format is how they referred to it. Um, we put two cars on the track. They go one lap head-to-head. Winner moves on. It's that same type of format here, you're, but they're just adding that pit stop. Um, so I really do like that, and it, it makes it really interesting. Um, you know, for, for dirt track, you have your top eight qualifiers. You can go from what eighth fastest time and work your way up to the, the, the pole by going through this bracket. Okay, yeah, this is a little bit different, and it's probably going to change. I was thinking that the winner of each of these stages advanced into the all-star race, but actually it means that they advance, uh, and it puts their startle position in the line for that stage four final 50-lap shootout. So here's the race format. The race will consist of four stages. The first three are 25 laps in length, and the fourth and final being a 50-lap shootout, 
for the $1 million prize. Actually, this is for the all-star race. So the new format has provided a major incentive to win any of the opening three stages or the pit stop competition during the break between stages two and three. So for stage one is 25 laps in length. The stage one, this is for the all-star race. Stage one winner will start in the pool in the final stage as long as he finishes 15th or better in stages two and three. So in addition to earning that top spot, they have to keep themselves in the top 15. I like that feature. In stage two, also 25 laps, the stage two winner will start second in the final stage as long as they finish 15th or better in stage uh, three. So then there's a special stage break for the pit stop competition, uh, and we talked about that. Uh, the team with the shortest time on pit road, pit in and pit out, wins the pit crew award, and the driver will start fourth in the final stage as long as he finishes 15th or better in stage three. Now, stage three is the final uh, stage. Uh, it's 25 laps. And there's uh, whoever wins that stage uh, will get a starting spot in that final stage. Now, stage one winner starts first, stage two winner starts second, stage three winner third, and the pit stop competition winner will finish or will start in fourth. <clears throat> if a natural caution occurs between laps 15 and 25, the standard race procedures will be in effect. If no natural caution occurs during that time, NASCAR will call an all-star competition caution, and the winner of stage four earns the $100 million. Now, the NASCAR author will immediately precede the all-star race, and that will consist of three stages, 20 laps, 20 laps, and 10 laps, so much shorter. And each segment winner, okay, so I was right about this. Each segment winner will advance to the NASCAR All-Star Race, as will the winner of the Fire Boat. So now, what if one of the drivers you picked actually is the Fire Boat winner? How does that play in, Jay? That one, that one is strictly based on, you, you talk about the first two, or first three, stage one, stage two, and the race winner. Those three are winners moving on. Points for their, our fantasy group is awarded there from the finish uh, on back. Okay. Uh, after that third and final stage, uh, the fan vote obviously gets in. And then, you know, right now we haven't had anybody. If you want to choose to pick any of those advancing, you can change up your driver for the all-star race. Cause we don't know yet if they're locked in. Um, uh, we've seen that in the past. I believe it was Ryan Newman and Casey Kane that have yes. raced or won the all-star race or won the all uh, voting and went on to win the all-star race. Yeah, Casey Kane for sure. I don't remember uh, if uh, Ryan Newman did that, but that, that's pretty cool if they are able to do that. It has happened. Okay, so uh, there will be activities, as I mentioned, with qualifying uh, taking place on Saturday. And then uh, on Sunday, uh, the Open will start at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, 20 laps, 20 laps, and two laps for those three stages. Uh, then at 7 or 8 p.m. Eastern uh, is the all-star race with 25 laps, 25 laps, 25 laps, uh, and then that 50-lap shootout. In between stage 1 and 2 will be the pick crew charge. So, uh, and then, of course, that winner 
gets to uh, start fourth in the All-Star, in the next stage of the All-Star race. So that last 50-lap shootout. So kind of an interesting format there for this uh, uh, open and All-Star race. And we've had some really great uh, picks so far. Yeah, it, it, the thing I like is that they, they've combined so many things. I know this is one that kind of changed up every year, and that's okay because it is just for the fans. An, an all-star event, uh, no points on the, the line. It's just about the money and the show they put on for the fans. So adding some of these different things in, you know, fans may say oh, it's complicated to understand it. Just watch it and enjoy it because it's not your re- regular weekly points race where you have to necessarily understand or it's the same week in, week out. Um, but I like, you, we mentioned adding the pit crew into it and there is something to race for in each of those stages, the starting position, when you do the pit stop of in, in stage three, going into or between three and four, that puts you in the fourth st- uh, starting spot. You know, NASCAR's mm-hmm. tried to tweak it so that there's always that drive to finish the best. You don't have the sandbagging. I know a couple of years the way they did it sandbagging was an advantage and, and we you want to take that away from it you want to see it go 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 every part of the race and i think they're getting to that point with these little tweaks they're making okay real quick i want to make sure we also mention the drivers that are already locked in to the all-star race and includes Ross Chastain. uh and the people that are locked in are those people drivers that are going to race either a 21 or 22 uh and after all-star race winners for competing full-time this season, and Cup Series champions for competing full-time this season. So that includes Ross Jackson, the number one for Trackhouse, Austin Cedric in the number two for Tim Pinsky, Kevin Harvick in the number four for Stuart Hall's Racing, and in the number five, Kyle Larson for Hendrick Motorsports, and Brad Kedlowski in the number six for RK Racing, if you want to take the next slide. Okay, that one didn't load for me for some reason. Okay. We've got Chase Elliott uh, from Hendrick Motorsports in the number nine, Eric Almarola in the number 10 for Stuart Cross Racing, Danny Hamlin in the number 11 for Joe Gibbs Racing, Ryan Blaney in the number 12 for Jim Kinski, and Chase Bristol making his debut in the All-Star Race race, driving the number 14 for Stuart Hall's Racing. You want to do 11 through 15? Right. Actually, one All right, yep, I got it. 10. Okay, I got to pick it up there. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger in that number 16 for Colleg Racing. Again, this isn't about points or being eligible running for the championship. It's just a race your way in, and he's done that. Then you got Kyle Busch in the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing, along with Martin Truex. Uh, Kyle Busch in the 18, Martin Truex in the 19, and the 20, also a JGR machine. There you got Christopher Bell. Uh, the other team Penske car there is the number 22, Joey Logano, got his victory uh, just a couple weeks ago. The team 2311 got both their cars in there. The 23 is Bubba Wallace. In between there, you got William Byron in the number 24 for Hendrick Motorsports, multi-time winner on the year. Michael McDowell, still eligible after picking up the Daytona 500 victory last year for Front Row Motorsports. Kurt Busch, the other 2311 racing, and the number 45, the most recent winner uh, in a Team Jordan jump brand. And then the number 48 is Alex Bowman, the fourth and final Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. Okay, uh, real quick, uh, previous All-Star winners, A.J. Allmendinger.
I lost you, Sharon. I don't hear you. Sharon, are you still there? Okay, I get the feeling maybe Sharon got bumped off here. I hate to talk over if she's talking, but going down the list of active open winners, uh, we mentioned that drivers advancing from the open. Okay, now I hear her. Are you back, Sharon? Yeah, I am back. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. I got just dropped. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. You want me to finish the active open winners list there? That's yeah. That's where you cut ahead. off. All right. Uh, A.J. Allmendinger has advanced twice on wins. Kyle Larson twice. A.J. did it in 2018 and 2008. Kyle Larson in 2019 and 2016. The other one to do it twice is Martin Truex Jr. in 2010 and 2007, and then Eric Almarola with one in 2021, and Daniel Suarez did it in 2017. Okay. Uh, we're going to go ahead. We're running out of time here, so I'm going to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series because they are also racing this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. The SRS Distribution 250 will take place Saturday, May the 21st at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 1 p.m. with pre-race coverage, and there'll also be coverage on PRN and Sirius XM Master Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 250.5 miles over 167 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 40, stage 2 on lap 80, and the final stage on lap 167. Uh, so that is, uh, what, 87 laps in that final stage. Now, unlike the Open and the Ulster, these are points game races for the Xfinity Series and the Series. Well, and we were talking about A.J. Allmendinger being in the All-Star race, but when it comes to the Xfinity Series, he is on a hot streak of top tens. As he's driving for a college racing, has started the 2022 NASCAR Xfinity Series, hosting 11 consecutive top 10 finishes heading into this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Almendinger's streak of top 10 finishes this season is the fourth longest streak of consecutive top 10s to start a NASCAR Xfinity Series behind Sam Ard, who had 23 consecutive top 10s in 1984. Regan Smith had 13 uh, in 2014, and then Elliott Sadler in, with 12 in 2018. Now, Almendinger has made two starts at Texas Motor Speedway, and they posted two top 10s with an average finish of 6.0. So it looks good to continue that streak. Yes, it does. Now, Junior Motorsports, though, is going to go for four straight wins. The last three races of the 22 Xfinity Series season have been won by junior motorsports drivers, including Noah Gregson at Talladega on April 23rd, Josh Berry won at Dover on April 30th, then it was Justin Aldauer winning at Donaldson on May 7th, and this weekend at Texas Speedway, the organization is hoping to get their fourth straight race win for the first time in its existence in the series. If JRM does win their fourth race this season, it will be the sixth time in NASCAR Xfinity Series history from 85 to 22 that an organization has won four or more consecutive races in a single season. 
Now, junior motorsports would also become the fourth different team to accomplish that by joining Howard Thomas Racing, and who did it in 1983, RFK Racing, that uh, accomplished that feat in 2000, and Joe Gibbs Racing, who did it three times in 2008, 16, and 21. So that's pretty cool. Joe Gibbs Racing holds the record, in fact, for the most consecutive wins in a single season in the Xfinity Series with six straight wins from April 5th of 2008 to May 9th of 2008. Uh, if Junior Motorsports wins its fourth straight race with driver Sam Mayer this weekend, then JRM would become the first organization to win four more consecutive races with four different drivers. So uh, that's going to be fun to see. If they Certainly can. be uh, something to watch as a side storyline throughout the race for sure. The other thing to watch is that playoff bubble. Uh, we got five spots remaining. Seven drivers have already clinched their spots this season's playoffs with the respective wins. Ty Gibbs, Noah Gregson, A.J. Allmendinger, Justin Allgaier, Josh Berry, Brandon Jones, and Austin Hill. And that leaves just five spots left with 15 races to go in the regular season. Although yet to post a win on the year, junior motorsport Sam Mayer currently sits in the eighth position with a 69-point cushion ahead of the playoff cut line. Now, Mayer has had a top-five finish in all but one of the last six races this season and could very well work his way to a win joining junior JRM teammate Gregson, Algar, and Barry. In the ninth-place uh, position is Stuart Haas Racing's Riley Herbst. He's 54 points ahead of the cut line. And just one point shy in the 10th position is RSS Racing's Ryan Stieg, who's got 53 points up on the cut line for the playoffs. Now, Sieg has posted one top five and seven top tens in 11 starts this season, having a phenomenal season for RSS Racing. Rounding out the last two slots in the current playoff outlook, you've got Landon Castle uh, at plus 35, and then defending series champion Daniel Hemrick, who's at plus 22. And you look on the other side of the line, outside the postseason cut line, there you got driver number 23 of our motorsport Chevrolet, Anthony Alfredo. He's at minus 22. The 23-year-old has yet to post a series win, but he's posted one top five, three top tens, and eight top 15s on the season. Alfredo isn't the only driver outside that playoff cut line, though, currently within striking distance of the postseason. Jeb Burton's at minus 62. Sheldon Creed, minus 68. Brett Moffitt, back 72. Brandon Brown is at 80 back. And that's a gap to Myatt Schneider at minus 127, as well as Jeremy Clements, as they're all more than 60 points back from Daniel Hemrick in that 12th and final playoff transfer position. But a win changes all of that. It absolutely does. Uh, and when you head to Motor Speedway, or Texas Motor Speedway, you want to buckle up because it's about to get rowdy. There's a couple of drivers that will not be making appearances this week in the Xfinity Series. That includes Kyle Busch uh, and also John Lemachek. Won't be claiming uh, any back-to-back wins at Texas Motor Speedway in the Xfinity Series this year. 
Last year's fall race runner-up was Pilot Racing Daniel Hemrick, and he's proven to be a force at this Texas track. Although his first attempt in 2017 wasn't what he expected, he finished 32nd. He quickly uh, turned things around on his second goal round and finished in the top 15. Since then, he's posted three top fives. So then Hemrick sits with one top five and four top tens thus far this season. So he's looking to post his first win since seeing Victory Lane uh, at the 2021 Xfinity Series Championship race at Phoenix. So Hemrick's teammate, A.J. Allmendinger, could also call some attention for college racing. Allmendinger has only given the track a go uh, twice in the Xfinity Series throughout his career. But he won the pole both times, and he placed sixth place on both races. Allmendinger has posted a top ten finish in every race this season, and already he has a win under his belt. Another driver to keep your eyes on this weekend is the latest winner from Junior Motorsports, that's Justin Algauer. The veteran posted 23 starts at the track with four top fives, 12 top tens, including a runner-up finish last year in the Texas Spring Race. He's coming off a great win two weeks ago at Darlington, and so far he's posted four top fives and six top tens this season. With a win at Texas, he would become the first back-to-back winner this season. The last driver in the Xfinity Series to go back-to-back uh, with race wins was Noah Gregson. He did it last season when he won at Darlington and then Richmond. Uh, as we're talking about Gregson, he's also someone to watch in the SRS Distribution 250. Last season, he posted top 10 finishes in both Texas races. And overall, he's got a really good record at 1.5-mile track finishes and seven starts at Las Vegas and three top fives and four top five tens in five starts at Atlanta, just to name a few of those. On top of that, he's already had two wins this season at Phoenix and Talladega, and he also has eight top fives and eight top tens. If Gregson finds victory lane this weekend, he will tie Ty Gibbs for the most wins this season thus far with three victories. So uh, keep your eye on what happens there. Well, the Xfinity Series is firing up for the Lone Star State. They had last weekend off to recharge, and now we'll be back at Texas Motor Speedway. And that race will be Saturday, May 21st, 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time for the SRS Distribution 250. Coverage being on FS1, PRN, and Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Now, fans will uh, be back at the uh, 1.5-mile track after last seeing the Camping World Truck Series regular John Hunter Nemechek steal victory in his fourth Xfinity Series start of the 2021 season, which was his second Xfinity Series career win. But Sharon mentioned he won't be doing that uh, this weekend. Speedway has produced 24 pole winners and 22 race winners in 42 series races, uh, with NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin winning the inaugural race on April 5, 1997. Only six races have been won from the pole or the first starting position in Xfinity Series history at Texas. Last driver to accomplish that feat was Ryan Blaney in 2018. And you can't talk about Texas without talking about Kyle Busch. He's made quite the name for himself in just 23 Xfinity Series starts at the Fort Worth, Texas track. 
He holds records for most poles at four, most wins at 10, most top five, 17, most top 10, 18, most lead lap finishes at 20, and the most laps led at 1,795. Now, Texas is a memorable, memorable place not only for Bush, but for some others as well as it's a place of first. Dale Earnhardt in 19, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Sorry, in 1998, Kurt Busch in 2006, Chase Elliott in 2014, Jones and Eric Jones in 15, all got their first Xfinity Series win at Texas Motor Speedway. While Denny Hamlin in 2006, David Reagan in 07, Alex Bowman in 2013, all got their first Xfinity Series pole at Texas. Now, on-track action for the Xfinity Series, that'll be Friday, May 20th. The drivers will start their engines for practice. That'll be at 6 p.m. Eastern time, followed by qualifying at 6.30 Eastern time. And that'll be covered on Fox Sports 1, FS1. Okay. Next up, we have the Camping World Truck Series that is also racing this weekend, the SpeedyCash.com 220 at Texas Motor Speedway on Friday, May the 20th. Uh, the time is 8.30, around 8.33. I think they said was the uh, grand flag time. Uh, Fox Sports 1 will carry pre-race coverage starting at 7.30 Eastern, and radio coverage will be on MRN, MCUS XM, NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 220.5 miles over 147 laps. First two stages are 35 laps apiece. Stage 1 is on lap 35, stage 2 on lap 70. Uh, stage The last stage ends on the last lap, lap 147, meaning that the last stage is 77 laps. Uh, so we, uh, it's a really great series back in action again this weekend. Well, and we got some drivers that are back. Now, Priest, Chastain, and Bodine back in the truck series this weekend. Those are three big names you'll recognize returning to the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series uh, this weekend for that SpeedyCash.com 220 at Texas Motor Speedway. Ryan Priest, Ross Jastain, and a two-time series champion, Todd Bodine. Priest, he'll be behind the wheel of the number 17 team at DGR Ford, Crew Chief Chad Johnston. It's the fourth start of the season for Team DGR in this series. His previous three starts have produced one top five and three top ten. A Chastain, he'll pilot the number 41 Nice Motorsport Chevrolet this weekend. He's made two previous truck series starts on the year, posting an average finish of 24.5. That's unusual for Chastain. A benign, mm-hmm. he's coming back, coming back to the number 62 Halmar Friesen Racing Toyota this weekend at Texas. He's made two of his starts this season, posting one top ten finish at Darlington. And if you didn't see his interview on Race Hub the next day, he was thrilled and so happy with that. It was good to see. <laughs> of the three drivers, Bodine at 10.167 has the best average finish in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series at Texas Motor Speedway, followed by Chastain's, who is 18.333. A priest will be making his series track debut this weekend. Now, also worth noting, Bodine leads the series and wins at Texas Motor Speedway with six victories, but hasn't been to the made that trip to victory lane at the 1.5 mile track since 2010, so 12 years. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there, isn't it? Uh, now, there's another new driver uh, to watch for this weekend. Armani Williams, they will be attempting his season debut this weekend at Texas. Uh, he uh, uh, will join Dag Moffat, Brad Perez, Blake Lothian, Keith McGee, Akinori Ogata, and Jesse Awuji as the seventh different driver to pilot the number 43 Rayon Brothers Racing Chevrolet this season. So Williams uh, did make one previous career start in the truck series, and that was at Worldwide Technology Raceway last year. He started 36th and finished 21st, posing a positive race differential of 15 spots. So uh, look for Armani Williams to be on track this weekend at Texas. Great to see him getting another start. We'll see how he does. Talking about those first starts, we got some drivers making their first run at a series. The Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings giving update following Kansas. And put eight races are now in the books for the 2022 Camping World Truck Series season, the halfway point of that regular season. Nice Motorsports teammates Lawless Allen and Dean Thompson hold the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings top two spots, respectively. Allen is 20 points ahead now of Thompson in second following Kansas. Allen grabbed his fourth Sunoco Rookie of the Race Award last weekend at Kansas Speedway thanks to his 19th place finish. The season has been a quick study. Allen has been a quick study in the truck series, putting up five top 20 finishes in his eight starts. Average finish on the year is 22.1. Now, his Nice Motorsports teammate, Dean, Dean Thompson, currently second in the standings after posting two top 15s and three top 20 finishes. Thompson's also secured the second most Sunoco Rookie of the Race awards with three for the year. <clears throat> GMS Racing's Jack Wood is currently third in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings. He's 27 points back from Allen in the rookie standings lead nine points behind Thompson from second. Now, Allen, Thompson, and Wood are the only three rookies to run full-time this season. Wood has mustered one top 15 and two top 20 finishes on the year. Average finish through these eight races is 26.4. Now, all five rookies will be attempting to make their NASCAR Camping World Truck Series track debut this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. Okay, now there's a few things. Uh, let's talk about the playoff level. Uh, six spots are available at the halfway mark uh, for the Truck Series regular season. Just four playoff eligible drivers have won so far, leaving six spots still up for grabs uh, for the playoffs. Uh, there's only eight races to decide who those uh, next six spots will be taken by. So following Kansas Speedway last weekend, four drivers locked themselves into the playoffs by virtue of their wins. That's Vance Matthew has three wins at Daytona, uh, Circuit of the Americas, and Kansas. Taylor Smith won at Las Vegas, then loads at Bristol on dirt, and John Nemechek won at Darlington. At the other end of that playoff outlook is first sport racing's Matt Crafton in the 10th and last transfer spot following Kansas. Crafton holds a 20-point advantage over Tanner Gray in the 11th place spot. 
uh, Grafton holds the record for the most playoff appearances in the Truck Series and has made each of the postseason's uh, playoffs since the inception of the uh, format in 2016, a streak of the last six seasons from 16 to 21. So looking to this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, the pendulum of the experience at the 1.5-mile track couldn't have swung further apart when it comes to Crafton and Gray. Gray has made three starts at Texas, posting two top ten finishes, while Crafton's made 41 starts uh, at this event, putting up three poles, two wins from 2014 and 15, 17 top fives, and 29 top tens. To put the vast difference in experience at Texas between these two drivers, teetering the playoff cut line into perspective, Crafton made his very first truck series start at Texas in 2001. That was two years after Gray was born in 1999. So uh, he was just two years old when Crafton made his first start in the truck series. Pretty interesting. It is indeed. The other uh, thing to look at, we got the 2021 champ, Ben Rhodes, as he's still holding the series standings lead after those eight races. He is the defending NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion. Uh, Ben Rhodes is eight races into the 2022 regular season on a quest to become just the second driver in series history to win back-to-back titles. Matt Crafton did it in 2013 and 2014. And he's got a firm grasp on that driver standings lead as we head into Texas this weekend for the speedycash.com 220. Our roads catapulted to the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series driver standings following uh, the lead following Martinsville and has since built on that points cushion ahead of second place over the last three races. In eight starts this season, he's collected the one win, which came at Bristol, five top fives, which is a series most, and six top tens. Now, currently, Rhodes is 20 points up on Kyle Busch Motorsports driver John Hunter Nemechek in second, 21 points up on the season wins leader and front row motorsports driver Zane Smith, who's in third. Only eight races remain to decide who will win the NASCAR Camping Truck Series regular season championship this season and bank not only that prestigious trophy, but the additional 15 playoff points that come with it. Very important down the stretch. Mm-hmm. The, incept- the inception of the playoffs in the-, in the series was in 2016, but the regular season championship wasn't in- introduced until the 2017 season. And since then, no driver has won the regular season title more than once. Uh, John, Hunter Gimich- John Hunter Nemechek in 2021 Austin Hill and Grant Enfinger did it in 2019, and then it was Johnny Sauter in 2018, and Christopher Bell in 17. Of the five different drivers to win the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series regular season championship, Christopher Bell is the only one to go on and win the overall season title, and that was in that first year of 2017. Now, Rhodes will look to keep building on his points lead this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. The Kentucky native has made 11 starts at Texas, posting two top fives and four top tens. Okay. Now, John Hunter Nemechek returns to Texas to defend his last season win. Last season, Kyle Busch 
motorsports driver John Hunter Andichek left Texas on the speedway with, four, with the fourth of his 2021 series leading five victories for the year. Fast forward to this week, and though Nemechek might not have the same number of wins under his belt, he's right back into the championship mix, sitting at second in the point standings. He's 20 points back from the lead as he heads to Texas Motor Speedway to defend uh, that 21 victory. Nemechek is also looking to become the fifth different driver to win consecutive races series at Texas, joining Brennan Gaughan, who won four straight with a 2002 sweep and a 2003 sweep, had Bodine in 2005 and 6, Ron Hornady Jr. Uh, had a 2008 sweep, Johnny Sauter a sweep in 2012, and then in 2017 and 18. This season, Nemechek has eight starts, putting up three pulls, one win at Darlington, four top fives and five top tens. His average finish of the season is at 11.1. Now, looking to this weekend, Nemechek has made six starts at Fort Worth, uh, posting one win in last year, one top five and two top ten. So we'll see what he does this year. We've got one driver, hmm. Front Row Motorsports. Which one you want to that... talk about here? We've got two more topics. Uh, so you can okay. choose which one you want to make it. I think I think we got to talk here about uh, front row motorsport Zane Smith uh, as he's okay. trying to set himself apart from the competition, and that comes after a dominating performance at Kansas Speedway last weekend. Again, Zane Smith driving for Front Row Motorsports has that championship favorite spotlight placed squarely on his shoulders. He's a Huntington Beach, Californian, <coughs> excuse me, native. He's posted a NASCAR Camping World Truck Series leading with three wins this season on three completely different types of tracks. The Daytona Super Speedway, the Circuit of America's Road Course, and then last weekend's 1.5-mile Intermediate Speedway at Kansas. He's also cashed in on four stage wins in addition to his race wins, bringing his playoff points total to a series leading 19 points, which is nine more than Ben Rhodes' 10 playoff points, uh, which is second most. And not only has Zane Smith been collecting uh, those most checkered flags this season, he's also been out front the most, leading laps in six of the eight races, totaling 201 of the 1,054 scheduled laps this year, which is a 19.07%. But it was last weekend's race at Kansas Speedway that Smith really put on his best performance of his NASCAR Camping World Truck Series 54-start career. The 22-year-old put on a clinic, having started fourth and racing his way to the front, leading 108 laps, which was a race most of the scheduled 134 laps. That was 80.6% of the laps. And in the process, posted his first career perfect driver rating of 150.0. Smith became the 13th different driver in this series to score that perfect driver rating in the first this season. Smith hopes to keep his early season success flowing this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway, where he's made three series starts, posting one top five and two top ten finishes. And he's finished six in this event last season. Okay, now then, uh, just some other notes here. 
Uh, the weekend on-track activity for the truck series will begin with practice at 4 p.m. to 4.30, followed directly by the kinetic gaskets from qualifying from 4, starting at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. Also, uh, with regard to the uh, uh, Cup Series that is racing this weekend um, in the All-Star non-points panel event, uh, Blake Shelton is going to perform a concert between the NASCAR Open and the All-Star Race. So uh, fans can uh, look forward to a 60-minute concert starting at 5.30 local time, uh, and uh, that should be a lot of fun. Uh, also, Banda MS Sergio Lizaraga, Lizaraga, I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, they are performing the post race concert at Texas Motor Speedway uh, for a full 90 minute set, uh, and that will take place after the All Star Race. So you're really going to get your money's worth uh, there at Texas Motor Speedway uh, this weekend. Uh, we talked about uh, some of the previous winners. Let's see, is there anything else? We got the format. We did the qualifying format. I think we got it all covered. I just want to make sure we mentioned uh, those other things as well. Okay, I think it's just going to be you and me, Jay, for Hot Topics tonight. So uh, let's uh, take a look at our Hot Topics list and uh, tell me where you want to get started. Do you want to, well, yeah, tell me where you want to get started. Well, let's, let's start with Denny Hamlin. We saw the uh, penalty for Matt Crafton uh, a couple of weeks ago get overturned, and, and we said there might be hope for Denny Hamlin um, and his team as they had appealed theirs as well, uh, but that came up a little short. NASCAR upheld that, so their four-ray suspension uh, will start following this weekend, again, for non-points-paying races. Yeah, I kind of didn't expect them to win that um, that uh, appeal. So uh, NASCAR's been pretty strict on these. Uh, he lost the wheel. That is a, um, a, a kind of a big deal because it, it's a safety issue on the track. And NASCAR is saying that they did not feel like that was um, uh they did not give a good enough reason for them to overturn that penalty. Uh, now, it involves a four-race suspension for Chris Gabehart and two additional crew members, but it only applies to front races. So you'll see Gabehart and the crew members at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend because that is a non-point thing event. But they will miss Charlotte, Gateway, Sonoma, and Nashville. So uh, that's four big races. Uh, that those drivers will be out. I, I, that, I think it is an expected outcome. I don't think we expected anything different there. Um, I, I know that uh, JGR thought that they had uh, some reason for hope uh, that it might be um, overturned, but uh, NASCAR sees this as a safety issue, and they have not been overturning any of these uh, uh, lost wheels, suspension, and that's what this was. So I don't think there was anything unexpected here. The thing that uh, I am most frustrated about, um, well, I shouldn't say frustrated, because this is a learning curve, and that's something that we have to remember here. Um, and one thing that I learned just recently, uh, and you listen to SiriusXM, so do I, and that's why I heard this, 
the reason I uh, informed everybody that when the reason these teams are having so much trouble with these uh, tires and getting them secure, reversed, usually we think of lefty-loosey, righty-tighty. Well, it's just the opposite of that for these pit crews. You go lefty-loosey, you have to tighten it by going to the left and loosen it by going to the right, which is the opposite of what they used to do. So that's a big learning curve for a lot of these teams, and that's why I think we're seeing the number of of, uh, loose wheel penalties that we've seen. But overall, uh, I think there are a lot of teams that are doing it right uh, and have done their due diligence and practicing and and perfecting their skill at that. These teams have not got that perfected. They've not got it down, and that's why they're getting these penalties. So I think that that's... um, that is NASCAR's whole point here, is that if, if all of the teams were having that problem, uh, then it might be a different issue. But in this case, it's not all the teams. It's, it's a few teams uh, that are having this issue, and uh, they, they just have to continue to perfect their skill on it. Jay, your thoughts? Yeah, you hit on hit on a key thing there. Uh, I've kind of been back and forth on this. And I know Mike and I have talked about this. Um, yeah, there does seem to be a lot of the loose wheels and losing wheel. But you mentioned it. It is not uh, across the board. It is not every team. And I must have – I didn't listen a lot today. Uh, I will tonight throughout the night driving, but – um, I did not. I had not heard that as far as the uh, the opposite direction with that. So that is interesting, but that is one of those of you're the top team at the top level for a reason. So you got to overcome. You got to adapt. We saw Joe, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing adapt the way they go about the format with their pit stops. So they made an adjustment to that to improve it. So why not mm-hmm. um, how you how you're putting the 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 nuts on and off it. I heard a couple teams talk about it or a couple of analysts saying it is something that those particular teams are doing um, the way they hold the gun, whatever it be. So it's unfortunate. The the one thing I think NASCAR maybe does need to look at and help the teams with is how to prevent some of these things. Whatever Denny Hamlin's team presented as saying the problem with a pit gun failure, whatever, take a look into it. Cause as I mentioned, it does seem like we have had, at least one or two every race throughout the year or close to it, it seems like it. So, but it's not something that obviously is a big enough problem that every team is being affected by it. So NASCAR does need to look at it, but they're going to say, Hey, we'll help you figure out what the problem is, but you're doing it. You know, obviously it works on four tires for, you know, X number of teams. It's not a big enough percentage where they're going to say, okay, it's a, industry problem and we'll we'll waive the penalty exactly right it's not a big enough problem that it's an industry problem and NASA's made it really clear that if there's a failure with the pit gun if there's a failure with uh you know getting this this uh, lug nut uh, on there uh then it's up to the team to make the adjustments that they need to make if there's a faulty pit gun uh they need to report that back to the manufacturer, you know, the, the resource of how they're getting these pick so that they can look at that 
to make to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Uh, there's a process here uh, that is in place uh, that all the teams should be following. And um, it's, it's like we talked about, uh, you know, faulty lug nuts. Some teams were saying we have bad lug nuts. Well, then other teams pointed out that they were going through each and every lug nut uh, to pull out the bad ones. That's the responsibility of the teams. So NASCAR is putting some responsibility on these teams to make sure that they have uh, the correct equipment in place or that they are reporting uh, faulty situations back to uh, their their stores so that that can be problem solved and they can get to the root cause and fix that so that nobody else has that small issue. Again, this is a safety concern by NASCAR. Anytime you have a 60 pound, uh, and once it's it to rolling, it's a lot more than 60 pounds when it makes an impact. So, <clears throat> excuse me, and I think I heard somewhere, excuse me, I'm getting a tickle in my throat. I'm going to use a sip of water. I think I remember reading somewhere where one of those tires hit. <coughs> Excuse me, Joe. One of those tires hit a um, RV trailer in the infield of one point. <coughs> I don't know if that is true what I said there, Joe. <coughs> Yeah, I remember. I don't remember what track or what race that was, but you're right. I do remember one bouncing through and into an RV um, in the infield. And, and here's the thing. I understand it is a safety issue, uh, without a doubt. Uh, you can't just be having that. The one thing I look at is, and I think I brought this up when we talked about this once before, it was brought up on somewhere on Sirius XM Radio. In the past, with five lug nuts, teams were trying to be quicker by not tightening all of them or securing all five, um, that is no longer the case. You have one lug nut. You obviously are trying to get it tight. So I don't want to say that NASCAR needs to look at lessening the penalty because, like you said, it is a safety issue, and one of those coming off can be very dangerous. But it is not. it doesn't seem like it's any, any longer an intent by the team to try and circumvent or, or cut, cut time off so maybe they do need to look at the penalty of that. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, because you don't want to downplay the safety of it either. Uh, you know, in the past, we kind of felt like, hey, that's your own fault. You were trying to get away with uh, less lug nuts. Now it's obviously not. You, you got one lug nut. You want to get it on there. So, like I said, NASCAR maybe at least needs to work with the teams and look at maybe what the problem is and, and try and prevent them um, I'm not saying not to penalize at all, but the intent of the penalty, I think, was to keep teams from doing it themselves in an inv- for an advantage. And, and we don't see that right. anymore with only one lug, one lug nut. But are we seeing this type of a penalty really affecting the teams um, that are being penalized? I don't know that uh, having the crew chief not there, two crew members not there, uh, is necessarily that much of a punishment, if you will, for such a big thing uh, that could potentially really hurt somebody if it were to hit an individual in, in the airfield. So <clears throat> I uh, I do think uh, that NASCAR uh, can be involved from a support perspective, figure out what it is that they're doing incorrectly, and help them do it correctly. Uh, 
But I don't think the penalty is really hurting these teams. Uh, and I know poor races seems like a lot, but I don't think we're going to see that much of an effect on the actual team itself. Do you? Yeah, we, we've had that discussion of whether or not the, the penalty actually hurts the team. Um, and you're right, as a whole, it doesn't seem to. We've seen Phil and crew chiefs uh, win races. The, the one perspective, uh, and I know this one involved, uh, involved Larry McReynolds um, at one point, the suspending your top draft a, a, a top draft picks that, that you have on your pit crew you suspend them you got to bring somebody in as a replacement aren't you putting a more of a risk of it happening more because you have and i want to say less experience but your second string um and they yeah. are for a reason i understand some of these teams have uh some depth when it comes to crew members but there is a point to that of if, if you're saying these top guys are making a mistake, we're going to suspend you. You've got to bring in somebody that is a replacement. Well, you, you're kind of adding to that risk, if you will, um, of it happening. And now, again, we don't know exactly what it is that, that's causing these, these issues, um, different things for different teams. And I never did hear what it was that caused Eric Jones lug nut to, uh, they didn't have a problem. That tire was not coming off. <laughs> they fixed yeah, that issue. Tire, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that might've had something to do with the uh, reverse um, thing. The, the treads on there or something is what I heard. But anyway, yeah, that was stuck on there. It was not coming off. It went on there a little bit crooked or something to begin with. And that's why it got stuck. <clears throat> well, I t- I'll tell you what, I, they definitely had that one locked on there, uh, watching that. And I and I feel bad because, I mean, I feel, Eric Jones has ha- been having a good season, but to, to watch that team and the process they went through and all the things they threw at it to try and get that lug nut off. That was um, almost a penalty in and of itself because she went wild. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. No, no doubt. Um, it was just kind of interesting to see what it was they were going to try next. I mean, I saw a saw, I saw the, the uh, crowbar, whatever bar they had with a good-sized <laughs> man putting some, uh, some, some weight into mm-hmm. it. The, the different things we saw them have to try and do to fix that. Uh, but it showed the tenacity of the team. They didn't quit either. No, they didn't. They, they, they were going after it to the, to the best of their ability uh, without much doubt there. And, uh, uh, but I do think, I do think this is a serious thing. And we know that the teams are going to go through a learning curve. We know that. Uh, they knew that coming into this, uh, the reverse, uh, you know, instead of lucky, loosey, righty, tidy, it's exact opposite. We knew that was going to be a huge learning curve for a lot of these teams. And that's why it's so hard for Cup Series uh, team members to go to the truck series or the extremity series or help out because that whole psychology of learning to go the exact opposite gets kind of taken off uh, track a little bit when you go into these lower tier series and now you've got to relearn all of that when you come back to the cup series. So um, I, I think the days that they're going to have to start building, I think, uh, the teams for these other series, the Xfinity series and the uh, and the um, Truck series, uh, so that they don't have to rely on Cup series crew members 
uh, because that's that that's going to be confusing for these guys. In, in a way, you can understand why it's so hard for them to get this down uh, in these series. And I really wonder if some of the teams that aren't having this problem uh, might be the reason uh, they're not uh, sharing those team numbers uh, with these other series. Well, I know we, and there again, Joe Gibbs was the first one that I heard anyway uh, of that, of saying, hey, with this being a one lug nut stop now at the cup level, these teams aren't allowed to then work in the Xfinity or truck series. Um, And I think it was the truck series this past weekend where there was an issue and they talked about that, that team won bouncing back and forth, whereas Joe Gibbs was the first to eliminate that. When it it comes to pit stops, I think about it, Joe Gibbs uh, racing, really puts a focus on the pit stops. They were the ones that developed their own pit gun prior mm-hmm. to NASCAR uh, issuing the, the standard uh, pit gun. Uh, they're the ones that were the first ones to come with that new pit style format of, and I know that caused some confusion on that suspension a couple of weeks ago, instead of going front tire, front tire changer on both sides, on mm-hmm. when you go around the car and you do, do the right side, when you come around, if you were on the front, you go around to the back, um, so you're not crossing over. So they're very innovative when it comes to these pit stops. And I don't know if, again, that is part of the cause of it. Uh, I'm not real sure. Uh, and like I said, we don't, we just don't see it industry-wide. So it would be interesting to try and find out and pinpoint what exactly is causing them for these teams. I think where where Joe Gibbs Racing has been very innovative with their pit stops, Jay, is they look at the body mechanics uh, of the people that are involved and the the efficiencies of those body mechanics. And that's where they come up with some of these new ideas. And I think they've been doing that. They've been leaders in looking at the body mechanics and how they can make uh, more efficient moves in their pit stops. In fact, who was it? Was it Kurt Busch or Kyle Busch? I think Kyle Busch was the one that broke the nine-second uh, barrier for a pit stop this past weekend. I think it was something like 8.68 or something in that range. Uh, and that, and that, was, Ky- that was Kyle, barrier. I believe. Yeah, Kyle Busch from Joe Gibbs Racing. So these guys are innovative. They are uh, kind of uh, something didn't go right, and they have to look at that and figure out what they need to do differently to avoid that mistake from happening there again. And if it was the pick gun, then they've got to go back to the manufacturer and uh, get that pick gun correct and make sure that they know what to look for in the pick guns that they're using uh, to make sure that they can catch that error before it's a factor on the track. <clears throat> But all, all in all, like you said, it wasn't an unexpected uh, surprise that NASCAR upheld the penalty. Again, they're going to go with the safety issue, um, as is as, as very important. So I understand that um, to put that that uh, emphasis on it being a safety issue, and they don't want to see it. Exactly. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the next hot topic, uh, Jay. Let's see what we had up. Uh, the one above that. Uh, okay, I know Mike had this. Um, Larry McReynolds is going to be back in the cup booth joining Mike Joy and Clint Boyer for this weekend for the All-Star Race. Uh, the tweet oh. came from, yeah, let's see, the tweet came from Bob Pockris. 
a perfect guy to explain to everyone the format and the strategy that could go along with it. Yeah, it's, uh, Larry McReynolds has been a big hit in the booth, and it's good to see him coming back uh, to the booth for Texas Motor Speedway. Um, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but it's almost like all these different guests that they've had coming in, it's almost been uh, like an audition-type deal uh, for who would be the best uh, to take that spot next to Kurt Boyer, perhaps for next season. Um, so I'll, let me ask you this. Of the guests that we've had so far, who would you put at the top of the list if that is or that's what they're doing? As far as addition to be full-time next year, um, I've, I've always liked Larry McReynolds um, as a full-time. I know he's always he's still been a part of the team in his uh, Ford cutaway uh, segments and, and what. Um, but I do like him a, a, as a full-time if that's the direction they, they want to go. I really enjoyed this kind of uh, variety. Uh, I think that's something for me anyway, getting to see some different ones. I know there were a couple that fans weren't necessarily a fan of. I still enjoyed it. I, I really did. Um, you know, there are some that I guess I would have to go the other way of, of ones I would not want to necessarily say see on a weekly basis, but were enjoyable for the one time or two times that, that they've been up there. I mean, Tony Stewart is another one. I know he's got so much on his plate. He's not going to do it um, mm-hmm. full time. The, uh, the segments we had during the uh, Darlington throwback, Bobby Lamonte, Bill Elliott, and, and the King Richard Petty. Uh, <laughs> now, there, there again. I mean, and I, and I hate to say it with Richard Petty. I think it goes along, and I know Mike was one with this of Daryl Waltrip to fully be relatable to the strategies that go on nowadays. The, the car itself, you know, Richard Petty is kind of past that. So um, that is not one I would necessarily want up there full time. It was great. His segment was great. Um, but you could tell that, yeah, there were certain things when they started talking uh, was a little beyond him at this point. So Bill Elliott, on the other hand, I think I, I really enjoyed Bill Elliott's time in there. And uh, I know there's some Twitter talk about the uh, the shot he took back at Clint Boyer when uh, Chase Briscoe got in the wall. And he said, oh, Clint, I thought you quit driving that car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of funny. Um well, I tell you, I, I thought uh, one of the ones that I really enjoyed, I think, the most, but I don't want to see him with the Fox Sports coverage, uh, but I thought he elevated uh, the Fox Sports coverage, and that's Dale Longhill Jr. Uh, he's with the NBC broadcast booth, uh, and I like to see him in that NBC, uh, under that NBC umbrella. But... Um, that's the kind of person that I think they need to look for, is a person who's going to elevate everybody else around them. Uh, and I thought Dale Earnhardt Jr. did that the best. Uh, Jamie McMurray had some glimmers of that this past weekend uh, with some of his race coverage. Uh, he always he gives some really good insights, uh, and I thought that was good. You mentioned Tony Stewart, but we know Tony Stewart uh, can't do it full time. Uh, so, you know, although he did a good job in the booth, um, uh, you know, we're not going to see him except on selected races. So I hear your point, though. I think uh, having the different people, uh, you know, over the season uh, is a good format as well. I like that uh, we get a variety of different people in 
else. But uh, I guess I'm just saying it kind of feels like it's an audition. It doesn't necessarily mean that it is, uh, but it has that feel to it for me anyway. I, th- I think one of the, another one, um, and it, uh, he's got some uh, experience again. We've seen with the um, just broadcasting for uh, Race Hub is Bobby Labonte. Uh, you know, again, he's not mm-hmm. that far removed from being in the car. There too, I know he's doing some other outside activities as well, so I don't even know if he's available. But he is one, and I think uh, being that he owns uh, as some dirt track late models. It, Again, being involved in different things, I think is still in touch, very in touch with the cars and the way things are. So if you're looking from that, that might be one. The other would be a crew chief. I know we've talked about this before of having that crew chief, and Bob Pockers mentioned there with the all-star race, Larry McReynolds being a good one. You know, we talked about this just recently, Frankie mm-hmm. Stoddard back uh you know, the, pulling the uh, pit stop after the uh, when everybody thought he had to pit. So having a crew chief um, that's going to understand the strategies and different options available. Uh, you know, I always like Steve Wattart uh, in the in the uh, broadcast booth because then you have that that pit crew strategy mentality as well, and what teams could be doing to the car to make the adjustments, not just how they're driving it in the lines from the driver perspective but what they're doing with the car itself from the crew chief perspective. And that's where Larry McReynolds just shines uh, because he does have that uh, background. And it was so cool to see him this year actually be on top of the pit box and get that experience uh, in today's world, if you will. Uh, And I think it makes him a better broadcaster when he's able to do that because he's got real-world experience in today's environment. Uh, and I do think that that's going to make him better. Larry McReynolds also has a good rapport within the garage, and people will talk to him. So he brings that to the table as well. And he's able to talk to teams and kind of get the feel for where they're at from a a race or a waving race. So uh, it's, I think Larry Mac, uh does a fantastic job, and he does get into the old strategy uh, to the point that you made with Frankie Stoddard. He gets into that a lot, and he brings that to the coverage. So uh, I think Larry Mack is uh, a great addition to the uh, booth this week. Yeah, especially you mentioned for the all-star format, I mean, that is one that is a very, as we saw mentioned, it, um, it being at the all-star race with Frankie Stoddard, uh, very crew chief, crew chief driven one of uh, the strategy to maximize, no matter how it is is played out. Whatever, whatever <laughs> format they throw at it, the drivers know one thing: push on the gas, go fast. But especially, I mentioned a, a couple of years ago when they they did points in reverse and they do the uh, uh, what do they call it inversion. You know, the drivers out there, mm-hmm. the crew chief is saying, "Hey, drop back two spots this segment so we can start in this position." You know, coming up. <laughs> um, so, yeah, having a crew chief, uh, especially a crew chief like Larry McReynolds, during this weekend's all-star format, uh, I think is a great addition and a good spot for him. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're at that time of the night. We're going to go off the air uh, very soon, and I want to make an announcement to particularly the people that are tuning in for the first time. 
Uh, we go up the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern time tonight. But Jay and I are going to continue our conversation. We've like got kind of another good topic coming up here. Um, so we're going to continue that conversation. You'll hear us go off there. And we'll be mid-chapter and talking about it. So uh, to let you know how you can hear the rest of the conversation, uh, because we will record that conversation that will be available as part of our podcast. I go out on Twitter and let you know that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to our player at fanforacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Again, we don't want new listeners not knowing uh, what to do when we go out the air and how they can hear uh, the rest of the conversation. So we make an announcement every, uh, every time we do a broadcast at this point of the show. So with that, Jay, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next topic because we've got another big one here. Uh, I, I'm assuming that you're, you're talking about what Mike posted this afternoon with yes. Red Farmer. All yes. right. Can't, can't, ima- can't imagine why you're chomping at the bit uh, to talk about this one. All right. Let me <laughs> see wh- where Mike had this. Uh, said from Red I Farmer. I post on the page, and I said, no, I'm not going to steal my thunder now. I'm going to save it for later. <laughs> All right, so Mike actually engaged on on Reddit, and this is a really small one. Let me see if I can turn it so I can read it better. Uh, Mike said, what's your take on, quotations, creative engineering, some calling it cheating, and NASCAR's now, let's, current wait heavy second, hand- Wait a second. Let me kind of go back and set this up. He did a uh, – uh, Red Farmer did a Q&A on Reddit today. So Mike okay. actually posted one of the questions, and Red Farmer – responded to it. So this is my question that uh, that Jay is reading. Okay, I didn't know that was how the engagement started. Okay, so I got that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he, he asked what uh, his take on that and the NASCAR's current heavy-handed attempt to stamp it out with the spec parts and huge penalties. And Red Farmer's yeah. response Creative engineering Uh, versus cheating. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Or being with their hands tied. I know that gets used in here somewhere. Um, Mm -hmm. Red Farmer's response, you know, your creative engineering to me, that's your great engineers that made racing. When have have all you great uh, mechanics back in in the 50s and 60s, they would work on their cars to make changes and beat their competitors. That's what racing is about, finding that gray line and sometimes stepping over it. Now NASCAR figures that they are balancing the field with keeping this creative engineering to a minimum and that they are doing a decent job of it. Still think that the, they took the creative engineering from the mechanic and tied, the hand, tied his hands behind his back. Okay. Can I respond now? No, you you go ahead. You've been waiting. You go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I I vehemently disagree. I don't. I shouldn't say vehemently. I I know that I know where Red Farmer is coming from, and I get where he's coming from. However, I don't really feel that they've taken creative engineering out of it. Uh, This is a different world that we're living in. 
Uh, we're not living back in the 50s or 60s anymore. We're in, we're in 2020 uh, right now, which is quite a few years from the 50s or 60s. So uh, we don't drive the same cars that we drove in the 50s or 60s because the engineering has uh, been developed over time. And you know how? It's not because race car uh, mechanics uh, push the envelope. It's because that information was shared uh, and because the manufacturers took that information and used it in their cars that we use on the streets. Uh, so they advanced that technology. Well, <clears throat> NASA has not closed the door on that. The only thing that NASA is doing is saying, if you come up with an idea, rather than pushing the envelope on the racetrack to give yourself a competitive advantage, bring it to us, maybe, you know, let us know what you're doing, and if we approve it, then you can use it. Now, NASCAR, I don't, I'm not part of NASCAR. I don't know how they do these things, but I could see them saying, uh, and this is speculation on my part. I want to be clear about that. I, but I could see them saying, you go ahead and try it this week, but if it works this week for you, then we're going to share this with everybody else. Because NASCAR's job right now and what they're trying to do so that we can keep all teams involved in this sport uh, and that there's not a huge discrepancy, discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots that we've experienced in the past. They will share that information then with all of the teams so that everybody can take advantage of that engineering, that creative engineering that the mechanics come up with. An example in point, uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, Brad Keselowski uh team was penalized. They said, we think we've come up with a good solution uh, and we want to do it this way. NASA gave them the penalty, but they also said, yes, you came up with a good idea, so all the teams can now do this. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of um, uh, feelings that maybe, uh, you know, the teams lose their competitive advantage when they do that. But <clears throat> actually, everybody wins. And that's what NASA is looking for in this. They're looking for that win-win situation. Because when we have the haves and the have-nots, the competition is not as great as it is when everybody uh, has the same creative engineering uh, and that they can all compete on the field. We've seen a lot of winners this season, uh, a lot more winners this season than we have in a great, a long, long time. And we're having conversations now that it might be the first time we have 16 different winners, and maybe somebody who has a win might not be able to get into the playoffs. So I don't think NASCAR's closed the door on the creative engineering. I think that creative engineering is still a possibility within NASCAR, uh, and that's why I have the disagreement. Uh, yeah, push the envelope beyond into that gray area. Just take it to NASCAR so that they can look at it, analyze it, 
make sure that it's something uh, that is, is number one safe and, and something that can be used by all teams so that we have greater parity and more competition on the track. It's a win-win for the fans, too, by the way. Jay, I'm off my soapbox. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of this, you know, and I responded to Mike uh, with what he put. I mean, if you want the run what you brung, uh, wild, wild west, just do whatever you want, they're serious for that. You know, if you want to run nitrous, there's a group that does that. You know, right. go find that outlet, okay? Now, when it comes to the NASCAR and what Red Farmer's saying, I understand, you know, again, coming from a very different era, uh, like you said, that, that we're not in that era anymore. NASCAR became a national um, controlled sport, just like any other full sport, football, baseball. You don't have things out there that, that teams can bring their own bats or do things to the baseball or football, <laughs> although they try. Um, they got caught. Um, and that's so I understand. <laughs> yeah. I uh, understand the rules and, and controlling it, and you know, especially from the fans' perspective and what we have this year, the parity. Now, do I think some of the boxes that they've been put in as far as that creative engineering could be opened up a little bit? Yes, I think there are some places where I think the team could be allowed to have a little more playroom. Uh, and I think the reason, though, they don't is because when they did, they took advantage of it. For example, I know um, when the spoiler was adjustable, you had a leeway. You mm-hmm. had, had to have it within this range to this range. Teams were pushing it over. If they had just stayed within that range and found something within that range, NASCAR wouldn't have said anything. But they want to push it over that or outside of that rule. So then it gets tightened up even more. We think about so many things that, that NASCAR, the rules they have, have tolerances, but they won't stay within those tolerances either. So they were given a window, and they won't stay within it. So they kind of did it, shot themselves in the foot with that. Um, I think back to – Same thing is uh, true with their tolerance and camber tolerance. They're given the recommended tolerance for camber and for air, air pressure. And the teams push it. That's why they end up getting those flat tires. See, but now, and that's where I'm saying there's some things where, and, and that's a great example, Sharon, thank you. They are given that option. There's a recommendation, but NASCAR doesn't mandate you can't go above or below this. If you do, it's at your own risk and you have a problem. Then you pay the penalty. I like that. Now, like I said, I understand where there's certain things on the car, the engine, they're saying, okay, don't mess with the, the tire uh, itself, other than the air pressure, don't mess with. I'm trying to remember what there were three of them: the engine, the tires, and something parts. else. Um, well, now it's part, yeah, now it's the the spec parts. But there used to be three. Uh, uh, the other one will come to me in a minute. But that's an area where I said that they can play with and make their own call. And if there's a there's a penalty, it's a self-induced and, and you know based on that call. Um, but I also don't want to see it go to, uh, like Mike, Mike and I were saying, the run what you brung, do whatever you want. And that, again, you're going to do that, <laughs> you and your buddy go out on the street or, you know, whatever series uh, you run where that's allowed. This is no longer that sport. It has evolved. Cool. So, yes, 
I, yeah, right now there's rules and they have them in play. You break them. It's a penalty. It's cheating. But I think there are some other spots where they could maybe open that window back up just a little bit to allow that some of these uh, Ray Everham, um, Frankie Stoddard, when it comes to pitch strategy, you know, Frank, to give them that, that ability to play around a little bit more than what they do now. Well, you just mentioned the two areas where they give them that ability, air pressure and camber. Uh, they give the recommended tolerances for what that should be. Air tolerance, push that envelope, and they go beyond it. Uh, and it's a risk versus reward. Um, most of the time, I would say probably 90% of the time, on the air pressure, though, uh, they're going to end up getting a flat tire. Uh, and it, it's not really worth the risk. But yet we see it week in and week out where teams have taken that risk. Um, same thing with the camber. Uh, so, again, that could give them some leeway in some areas, but they do have some very strict uh, regulations now because the series has changed. And if we want to see uh, the close racing that, you know, we want to see on the racetrack, uh, that's the kind of thing the NASCAR needs to do. Uh, if we want to see different uh, race winners, uh, if we want to see somebody like a Corey LaJoy uh, be able to get a race, these are the kind of things that NASCAR has to do. Um, who else did we see win this year that was an unexpected winner? I can't. I know we've had a ton of them. <clears throat> Well, and Ty, I would put Ty Dillon, you mentioned, mentioned that, of, of getting another shot with GMS uh, Petty Racing. Exactly. Um, and we want parity because it means that we're going to get more different race winners. It means that we're going to get uh, closer racing on the track. And a lot of these finishes have been very close uh, race results. Well, and, and one thing, and I know with the, I'm sorry, were you done there, Sharon? Um, no, before go I go back. Um, one thing, and I know they said with the, the next gen car, and it's been talked about, is putting it back in the driver's hands. Uh, we've seen it uh, right from the get go. If this car gets out of control, you got to have one of the best drivers. And if that means putting it up against the wall and sliding along the wall and still maintaining speed, get Kyle Larson. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he knows how to lean on the wall and make it work for him. Um, mm-hmm. I just, I, I do think that, that there are maybe some areas, and, and I think back, and, and Sharon, you're going to have to help me out here. I know it was at a California race, Sonoma, back uh, with the Gen 5 car, I want to say. Anyway, where NASCAR had the claw, the template they put over the hood, mm-hmm. and it had to touch five points. And Hendrick made waves in their hood where – at that five, at those five points, it touched the claw. Now the intent was to keep it format or uh, uniform. They did what was what the rule was. They touched the five points on that claw, but the spots that weren't touching the claw were dipped down and created different drag. I was okay with that. They met the rule. Yeah, they pushed that limit then of in between the two points or you know the different points and still got their aerodynamic the way they wanted it. I was okay with that. Now, was that cheating? Was it, you know, pushing that limit, that gray area, I mean, to an extreme? Absolutely it was. But the rule was the hood had to touch the claw, those points, 
and they did that kind of thing I'm okay with. Now, once it became known, we saw other teams do it. Um, I, I was trying to remember, Sharon, do you remember if they got, I think they got penalized on that, did they not? Yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> okay. I don't remember I, that's who what it I was. Yeah, I just know, I know it was Hendrick Motorsports that, uh, that did it um, with their cars. See, now that I was okay with. Now, the window, uh, I think back to Kevin Harvick and Chase Elliott with the brace in the window. That part was supposed to be there. Window's supposed to stay solid. They did it so that part would collapse and the window would cave. Okay, that was mm-hmm. an intent to break that rule. That, I felt, should have been penalized, okay? That wasn't working within that because that's designing something. It wasn't ingenuity. I'll give them that. Um, <laughs> some of the things, and you know, and Sharon, this is where we just like the bump and run. I, we kind of have a little bit. I mean, I'm I'd still, you're right. I don't want to see an outright run over. The, uh, I think back, it was Kevin Harvick. You're supposed to run with the fuel, full tank of gas uh, for qualifying back, back about five, six years ago. Only put so much in and pinched the line off. So when they checked it after the race, it appeared to be a full tank because they checked from the, mm-hmm. uh, the feeling side. But then when they determined that the tank was empty, they had pinched the line off. So it just they had enough in the tank and enough in the fuel line that NASCAR thought it was still full. Um, I thought it was great as far as ingenuity, but again, that was completely wrong and NASCAR penalized them. Um, Mm -hmm. I thought that was a a good penalty, but that's why I said to, to understand at least trying things. And that's why I say, I think there's maybe a couple more spots on the car other than the, the camber and the tires that crew chiefs could have a little bit more leeway. Like I said, I don't want to see the, the whole, and I would really like to do an interview with Ray Everham and find out the T-Rex car. Whatever he did with that <laughs> T-Rex car for Jeff Gordon at Charlotte, NASCAR was just so appalled and they couldn't even say anything. They just said, hey, don't bring it back. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I just um, uh, feel that it, it, you do need that culture change. I don't want to go back to the days where somebody wins by a lap or two because they've got that big of a competitive advantage over the rest of the field. To me, that's not exciting. It's not fun to watch. It it becomes boring. And I don't think that's what, as fans, we really want. And uh, so that's why I think, uh, you know, if they do that, they've got to be very limited with how they do it. Uh, they they need that competitive racing. Uh, they have a good on-track product. Um, and I think those days are gone. And and that's the way it used to be in the good old days that a lot of NASCAR fans like to talk about with uh, uh, bring what you, you know, race what you bring. Um, well, those guys were winning by last. Over their competitors, so uh, to me that's not as exciting as the racing that we have right now. So to me, NASCAR needs to hold the reins tight and uh, needs to create that parity in order to have a good on-track product. And I and I fully agree with that. Uh, you mentioned that, and I know this comes up when when Dave when Dave Moody gets these calls. He just he he asked what what it was that makes the good old days 
that good, um, you know, and he'll admit it. Seeing, yeah, it was good to see Richard Petty win, but when you went in, like you mentioned, it's not a matter of how many seconds. It was a matter of how many laps. You know, you're right. That that isn't that entertaining. We've seen some dominated races, and, and I'm with that of, hey, they hit on it this week, good on them, but I don't want to see that every week. And I think back to one of my favorite drivers that was here in town, yeah, I mean, just absolutely smoked the field. I wanted to see him win, but that, that wasn't that entertaining. I mean, um, so you're right. You, you don't want to see it go back to that and why people refer to that as the good old days of racing. I, I'm not real sure either. Um, <laughs> I do like the parody of what we've seen, a different winner. I mean, and I said that coming, up, coming into racing as a Jeff Gordon fan, especially when it came to the championship. I would rather have seen Jeff Gordon win the championship but 15, 20 different drivers win a race each and every week rather mm-hmm. than him winning 10, 10 or 14. I mean, truthfully, you know, and, and I, I understand why some friends got frustrated with Jimmy Johnson during his eras. Um, yeah, it was good on them. I mean, they did their job and played by the rules most of the time. I know Knauss has been caught a couple of times, but, you know, that you have that occasionally. I really do like, you know, whether whoever wins the championship this year is going to earn it because we have already, what, 11 different winners, and we see that Mm -hmm. different players um, coming in. So I want to see that continue. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's that? I was going to say only five spots left in the next 13 races. Uh, You know, as you know, there's going to be five different winners in those next 13 races. I, yeah, with the drivers we got behind, and that's why when I looked at that, and this is going to go in kind of a different different area of a topic, but that's why I think they need to go away from the locking in X number of drivers because that's what then on a, on a weekly basis you have that. The fastest from that night get in. You know, yeah, if they have mm-hmm. a problem, you got a couple provisionals, but if not, come back, try again next week. Um, that to me, like I said, and even if it is my favorite that isn't out there then, I know I'm still going to see some great racing because you got the fastest cars, not the one that you know, was fast last week or a month ago or last year, um, riding, still riding on that, uh, that coattail, if you will. Um, but like I said, that's kind of on a, on a different topic, and that's my soapbox. You know I get on that one. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, so, yeah, I think, I think we've pretty much covered that one. Um, and it was a good topic to bring up, but as soon as I read it, I'm like, yeah, but. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I like the racing that we had today. I think it's some of the best racing we've had in years. And the stats actually back that up. Uh, it's not just a perception. Uh, there are facts that actually back that up. So uh, I think NASCAR is on the right track with what they're doing. And I would have to agree with that. You're right. I know several uh, drivers, uh, you know, last year, I think they touted it at the beginning of the season, uh, best season ever, and they came very good in fulfilling that. I think we may be topping that this year with what we've seen so far. I would agree. I would agree. Okay, the Brother Half Dash is coming up this uh, week. Um, Your thoughts about... uh, Who's going to win that? Because this is going to be a uh, this is going to be a uh, what do you call it? I racing event this year. 
It's it's one of those. And it was was it tonight? I don't remember when it is. I know I, I didn't record Race Hub tonight, but I don't know why my recording for Race tonight. Hub. I know they were going to. It is tonight. I should look on Twitter and okay. see if there's any word about it. I hadn't I hadn't seen any as I was scrolling through, and I know, like I said, on Race Hub they were supposed to preview it, and for some reason I didn't get Race Hub recorded. That that event, and I understand that going to the iRacing racing thing, which they did during the COVID years. And keeping it there, um, you know, if that's the direction they want to go, uh, great event. And I like seeing it. I know we during the COVID years, we saw it where they were each in their rig and had their driver coach, uh, you know, husband or boyfriend or whoever with them. Um, that, there were some interesting things going on there. I'll say that. Um, and I can't think of her name, Bobby Labonte's wife. Uh, I think was one of them that I was particularly impressed with. Uh, she uh, she didn't necessarily want a whole lot of driver coaching from Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, we had uh, uh, Jennifer uh, and uh, Austin Wayne Self on uh, a year or so ago, and they were talking about it because she was the crew chief uh, for her, and they said they were walking on fire around there. Uh, sometimes as well. Well, you're looking that up. Uh, you're right. It is for, and I can, I know I think each one of the winners, too, uh, have their choice of charities. But as a whole, it does go with the uh, MRO, Motorsports Racing Organization, um, for NASCAR. So it is a, a great cause behind it. And I know that's why a lot of these um, better haves wanted to get involved, because that is a way they can con- could contribute um, to that and have some fun with it. You know, that, you always want to do that. Again, I liked seeing it on the track. It was an event there that they could attend. I think they had it at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I understand there's more cost and more involvement then. Um, and, again, the iRacing isn't my thing. But the fact that they had to do it that for COVID and they're still continuing it, I do fully support that. Yes, indeed. It was McCall Galding who uh, won the Better Half Dash this year. And uh, that is Zane Smith's uh, fiance. So congratulations to McCall Golding uh, for winning that race. Well, if that's the case, uh, Zane being one of the hottest drivers in all of the top circuits right now, uh, that that makes sense. So that's a back-to-back win for her as well because she won it last year as well. So really cool to see that happen. Okay, we'll see. I was going to say, and we'll, we'll see how that involves. That's another one that, as we saw different ones um, get involved, and I mentioned uh, seeing how many of them. 
I know some of them had to borrow the uh, the racing rigs that they didn't have their own. Teams that were willing mm-hmm. to open up and let them use theirs, even if they weren't participating, uh, allowing them to use theirs and working together for such a good cause. That's one of those where you talk about the racing family coming together. It's not about competition. I mean, yeah, there's still the competition to it, but it's for the greater cause. So you see other teams helping uh, each other out, and I really like to see that. Yes, indeed. Uh, that is really cool. Uh, it's a nice uh, nice twist uh, around fundraising uh, that they came up with with their seven-and-a-half games, so I love it. I would, I would okay, have to agree with other... that, and, and taking it to that next level is always uh, the evolution. I always like to see that, of what, just like the all-star race. What can we do even better for the charity, for the fans, and all involved? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Okay. Uh, any other topics you want to hit on before we... Uh... No, I know those were the, 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 the three we had up on our board, yeah. Okay, so uh, thanks, uh, Jay, for being here. I really appreciate it, Uh, and I enjoyed the conversation that we had here tonight as well. Uh, Also, a big thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you, and uh, we look forward to being back uh, on Monday night for our uh, review show of the racing from Texas Motor Speedway this past weekend. So uh, definitely looking forward to that as well. Uh, I don't think uh, we've hit that time of the season when it's really tough. Uh, these drivers get really, really busy, and it's really tough to get a radio cast sometimes on the show. iRacing is picked up again on Monday night, uh, which makes it really hard. There's iRacing now on Thursday nights, uh, which make it very, very hard. So um, uh, we'll just keep doing the best we can. Uh, we did do the pre-race audio tonight uh, from Chase Briscoe. Uh, so if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, then uh, uh, go ahead and listen to that during the second half hour of tonight's show. And uh, I think Sal will be back for Monday night's show as well. So stay tuned. Uh, Jay, you wanna, where are you going to be this weekend? Well, that's what, uh, as as we've been doing this final wrap-up here, I've been packing up. I mentioned a new track for me. Uh, you mentioned being in Texas but not going to the uh, Texas Motor Speedway. I'm going to be in the Carolina areas, but uh, i got a date already at Cherokee Speedway. Uh, new track for me. It's one that's actually been on my bucket list when it comes to dirt tracks. So the Ultimate Street Stock Series Challenge going to be at, the, or, uh, be at Cherokee Speedway, 7,500 to win big weekend for me and i just want to say i want to hopefully i can make uh, a mentor of mine proud uh guy i grew up listening to at princeton speedway in minnesota and cedar lake speedway in wisconsin just recently passed he was the announcer at those mm. two tracks um as as a kid i didn't get a driver autograph i got an announcer autograph i don't know if that was already predetermining my fate or or what but um <laughs> I had asked for his autograph as a kid, and he's been a, a mentor and a friend. And, yeah, he did recently pass, so be uh, working and honoring him you. this weekend. Oh, well, thank okay. you. Uh, I did, 
You did what? Oh, I, um, you can follow me. I'll be doing the videos for that race on the Ultimate Street Stock Series Challenge page and then putting them on my own, uh, Michael Hoosman on Facebook, Mopar MJ 8 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and then hopefully, again, get to see a little bit around the Carolinas. I know there's a bunch of tracks in that area I would like to go to. Uh, that's just the one I get to go to this weekend. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good weekend. Uh, and then we'll be back, like I said, on Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, right here on Panther Racing Radio, uh, followed up with our Thursday preview show next week. So enjoy your weekend of racing at Texas Motor Speedway, and we'll talk to you guys on the other side. Uh, we'll call it a wrap, Jim. All right. Have a good weekend. Be safe on the road. Thank you. You too. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.